could say what happened in that theater is a direct result of the movie itself. That is so moral majority. You can't blame real life violence on entertainment. What? <laughs> Wait a second. Yes, you can. Don't you, don't you even watch the news? Yeah. Hello. The murderer was wearing a ghost mask, okay? Just like in the movie, it's directly responsible. No, it's not. Movies are not responsible for our actions. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating this life. This is not a hypothetical. It's not about art. I had biology with that girl. This is reality. Thank you. I agree with you. Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I live through this, okay? Life is life. It doesn't imitate anything. Come on, Randy. With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab two? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. Hey, no, wow. Come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? Get away from her, you bitch. I believe the line is stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. whatever. You know what I mean. Another. T2. Mm. You got a hard on for Cameron. Big one. Yeah. But wait a second. The first Terminator is historical. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Yes. <laughs> Wait, come on. All right, all right, all right, okay. House two, the second story. Oh, what? The entire horror genre was destroyed by sequels. I, I got it, by the way. I got it. The Godfather, part two. All right, that's enough. That'll be a wrap. The sequel discussion. To be continued. So, Mr. Originality, how would you make it different? I'd let the geek get the girl. <laughs> 300 people watched, nobody did anything. They thought it was a publicity stunt, for Christ's sakes. And it would have been a good one, too. It's starting again, Randy. It's not. A lot of shit happens at the movies. People get robbed, shot, maimed, murdered. Yeah. Multiplex is just a very dangerous place to be these days. Yeah, and you are in extreme denial. And you should be too. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in a movie theater telling our life story. Coincidence? You know what happened at Woodsboro, Randy. You can't ignore it. I know, Sid, and I don't want to go back there again. Can't we just go back to our pseudo-quasi-happy existence? Hello, Derek, how you doing? Hey, Sid. Yeah. I've been looking everywhere. I heard you weren't in class. Yeah, I know. I skipped. I couldn't take all the that's her looks. Is there anything I can do? Well, you got any tricks for getting me back to a pseudo-quasi happy existence? You know, I might just have one for that. Yeah? Oh, yeah, what is it? That was pretty good. Get a roll. Psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves.
threat. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another terrifying installment of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 341, Scream 2. It's the best time of the year. The biggest bummer is how quick it's over. <laughs> well, we're only two episodes in. <laughs> we're just starting Greatest October, and Matt's already missing it. One of the things that jumped out to me right away in this movie is I know something horrible happened here, but the move from California to Ohio. Is that where this college is supposed I'm to be? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I mean, now, granted, she lives in a fictional town in California and she goes to a fictional college in Ohio, but I think, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know it was supposed to be Ohio. Yeah. I didn't get that at all. It certainly doesn't look like it because I'm 100% sure it wasn't filmed there. Well, yeah, I think it was filmed in California, California too. Yeah. Well, that was what was so weird about Scream 4, which I believe was filmed in Michigan, and <laughs> it didn't look like Woodsboro of right, the other movies right. at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The location for the Scream movies never made sense for me, and I never cared. This is now all part of the Kevin Williamson like trajectory. You, you start a first movie in high school, and then the sequel, you're in college. Yeah. You know. It's kind of smart, I guess. Totally. He figured out a formula to pre-sell some franchises. I was noticing some crossover with I Know What You Did Last Summer in this viewing. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Goes beyond that. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. <laughs> that whole sequence when they're in the cop car is very similar to a sequence in I Know What You Did Last Summer. That's true. Yeah. Okay, get into the good stuff. Before we talk about Scream 2, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. And please send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email on the show. We have several ongoing prompts. If you've done a listener request, we'd love to hear your rationale for choosing that film, your history with it, whatever. But that has been expanded to basically any anecdote about any movie that you think is interesting. And now, because of Greatest October, if you happen to have any horror-themed stuff, we'd love to get that in before the end of the month. We're so like specific about our parameters. And well, then like, it just goes, well, anything, though. That's true. It is yeah. anything. But so, I think sometimes people maybe want to write an email, but they don't know what yeah. it would be. So you kind of help with some prompts. Right. And we certainly have a history of bullying our audience. So <laughs> Just do this, please. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Find us on... Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. And if you would like a free sticker, please reach out to us in whatever way, and we'll get that out to you. If you have your own listener request, there's going to be some changes coming. We've gotten an influx over the last couple of days now that we've come back from our little break. So I'm going to be saying this in every episode between now and the rest of the year, no matter how much it kills Matt. But <laughs> we're good. adding yet another qualification oh. to what's going on with the listener requests. We've already talked about how we're doing two per month next year. We've already been filling them up. We're into March, I believe, something like that. So please don't wait. Other than June, October, and November. So that leaves nine months times two, 18. This is like when I was first trying to figure out like how Champions League works. <laughs> this isn't that complicated. There's two per month next year. But at the end of this year. There is a caveat, though. It's not that complicated. Yeah. I don't understand what the problem is. Okay. At the end of the year, that two per month thing is going to dry up. So basically all you need to know is if you have a listener request, don't wait. Because we're going to keep raising the prices and there's going to be less per month. Right now, everything's the same. We're doing two per month, same price. 
But once we get to January 1st, whatever months aren't already booked, we won't be doing two next year because it's way too many listener requests to keep track of every month. So if we fill up all the way to the end of December by the end of this year, that's fine. And that's it. And then it's over forever. No more listener requests after that. No. Don't say things that aren't true. You could just get you're making it even more confusing. Well, no, I think it's good to have an end for the listeners. What will happen is we will stop taking them at that yeah. point, but there will be more theoretically if we keep doing the show into 2025, but we won't be taking them for a while. So, yes, once we fill up 2024, there will be like a little break, I would imagine, but all you need to know is if you have one, don't wait because there's going to be less slots than maybe you would thought. So, whatever. If this is confusing to you or if there's any issue, then just send me an email and I'll explain it. But really all that's changing is just hurry up and do it Yeah. if you're thinking about it. And if you don't care or don't want to do it, then believe me, that's fine. (laughs) Anyway. Happy to not do it. I just know that people want to, so I want to be clear that right now we have maybe 14 slots left. But that number of slots could change depending on if they're filled by the end of the year or not. Because we're not going to leave this open forever to do two, because I want to fill in a schedule with the stuff I want to do. It can certainly change by the next recording. Yeah, it's always up for debate. But if you've gotten them in thus far, then don't worry. Of course, we'll be doing it, and probably doing it in the month that I told you. Scream 2 was released in 1997. It's directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson. The budget was $24 million. At the box office, it was a big hit, $172 million, which was less than a million dollars less than Scream. Wow. So it basically did almost the exact same box office as Scream. Because of when Scream was released at the end of 96, both Scream and Scream 2 are among the highest earners of 97, which is a weird little factoid. I, I, this went into immediate production. It's crazy. The turnaround here is nuts. Well, that's pretty common for horror. Yeah. If you look at Friday the 13th, they went year to year a lot. Saw, we know, Paranormal Activity yeah. did it. You got to make hay when the sun shines. Yeah. Well, that will kind of lead us into one of our big talking points. But before we get there, if you have not already seen Scream 2 or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, it's currently streaming for free on Paramount Plus, which is pretty much where you can do a lot of your scream watching. I was going to say, is the entire series available there? Probably, yes. I have a question that I want to ask you, but I'm not sure at what point of the show I should ask it to you. (laughs) Well, I can't answer it if I don't know what it's related to. I find the first scream to be the perfect balance of self-parody meta, but also works as a horror movie Mm -hmm. where do you think this falls i'm finding it far more on the comedic parody level like closer to scary movie than scream but not nearly as bad as what it would become Mm, i I don't think it's really that similar to scary movie (laughs) i would say it's more similar maybe to i know what you did last summer which has some unintentional comedy or as you would say maybe intentional comedy yeah i don't know I don't think it's it, that goofy. Okay, I, I was thinking it it's was more, more goofy. goofy than Scream, For sure. but it's weird because I think that they hit on something really cool, and you can see it. There's usually, with the possible exception of three, which we'll get into maybe more yeah. later. I feel like with every Scream, they're able to adapt to whatever's new and going on and turn that into the meta thing. With the first sequel, it's pretty easy because it's a sequel, so That's there's right. going to be a lot of yeah. sequel discussion. A lot of references. 
I did think that overall there were far fewer films referenced than Scream. Agreed. Not just listing titles, but with the homages and little nods here and there. I think the actual overall list is a lot less, which also makes sense because how do you keep doing that over and over? This is the perfect time, I guess, to launch into our sequels discussion because originally we were going to split up half of October with sequels. Mm-hmm. before I got sick and we needed to delay things. Things took a turn. I, I like how I, I'm constantly referencing being sick as if it was some traumatic incident. But <laughs> well, for the podcast, was. it kind of was. Yeah. It was a complete shutdown. I, let's be fair to you. For you, it was. The stories I heard, folks. <laughs> Gross. One can't even. Just shitting my pants every day, <laughs> literally. Changing the sheets every day. My bathroom is less than 20 feet from this couch, <laughs> and yet I was shitting my pants constantly. <laughs> just too lazy to get up (laughs) just way overconfident that it was gonna be a fart every time when your parents were coming over oh god yeah no i don't let them in the building my parents have never been in this building and they never will frankly they leave it at the door why would you just go down yeah my parents for some reason don't seem scared of covid at all and i was like are you sure and they're like it's we're outside quit being a pussy No, I think sequels are a huge part of horror. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to even go further back, the original, original plan was, I'm going to do a whole fucking Greatest October of sequels. Yeah. Then I started to talk myself off that ledge thinking, well, people might not be into that. That's a little too much. How do we fix that? Well, let's do a huge Greatest October and just do both. So that's what we're kind of doing. But sequels are both the bane of horror's existence because- People get tired of it. People think, well, we're being exploited because we're fans. There isn't that much of a commitment to quality. They're churning these things out because they know they're easy money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these franchises, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Hellraiser, Exorcist now with a new one coming out, they keep the whole movie industry afloat. They're always turning a profit because horror is always dependable for people to go. And people get really into it and obsess over these franchises. And I think that we've covered some. We did Psycho 2. We did Blair Witch 2 before we even did Blair Witch. We've hit on some horror sequels over the years, but I think we needed to commit to doing a few more because it's such a big part of yeah. of horror movies, and that's what we focus on for Greatest October. Well, there's something that's always unique about horror and action movies when it comes to the draw, although action movies usually cost a lot more. It's the whole thrill ride experience of going to a movie. Like people collectively want to go in a group and be right. shocked and thrilled and whatever. If I just film you walking up these stairs out here and put the right score to it, we could put butts in seats. <laughs> Maybe the wrong butts, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> On that one. I just think that it was high time that we addressed the sequel issue in horror. There are some horror sequels that I truly love. I'm not prepared enough right now to go into a what are my favorite horror sequels thing. I think we're going to be covering a couple of them this month coming up. Mm -hmm. But Scream, and specifically Scream 2, is a franchise that I've really evolved with in terms of my opinions. Because as I was explaining to you before we started recording, I initially hated this movie. I actually hated a lot of sequels in my younger days. Mm Mm-hmm. I would go see sequels and think they were the worst. I hated, 
hated American well, Pie 2. I considered it one of the worst films I'd ever seen when I saw it. Now I can't even remember it. I also didn't care for American Pie I don't think it's good, but my reaction to these things was sort of seeing through how flimsy they were as yeah, an excuse to get you to go. Totally. And that's kind of how I felt about this movie at first, until I saw Scream 3. <laughs> no. Eventually, I grew with this movie. I think it was actually that one year that we randomly watched Scream 2 on my birthday. I remember that. Yeah, I was thinking about it while I was watching it this time. And I think that's the first time where I was like, oh, this movie's actually pretty good and yeah. fun, and I like it. And I started to change my opinion on it. We'll get into our Scream ranking later. That will come up maybe a little bit more organically. But I think overall, compared to a lot of other horror franchises, Scream is pretty consistent. Yeah. I think there's one really bad movie and one mediocre movie, and the rest are either pretty good or great. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think six is mediocre and three is terrible, and the I think four and five are are pretty good, and I think one and two are well, two is close to great. I think that if you changed a couple of things, you could make two great, and one is an all time classic. Oh, definitely, without yeah. a doubt. I will say though, on the topic of sequels, it's really Nothing comes to mind that I like it better than the first of any In horror or any sequel? In horror specifically was what I was thinking. It could be true for any sequel too, but... Well, I guess it depends on whether you believe Randy when he says Empire Strikes Back doesn't count as a sequel. Okay. I wasn't thinking beyond horror. I'd probably have to think about it. But yeah, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is better than A New Hope. Godfather Part Two. A lot of people like it more than The Godfather. I'm not 100% yeah. sure I do. They're pretty I'm close like, to me. I'm Yeah, equal. But there are other ones. But yeah, in look, horror specifically, it's hard. I love Halloween 3. But I think the original Halloween is one of the best movies like ever. Now, I think for people who maybe haven't listened to every single episode of our show, they're probably screaming Evil Dead 2. You'd have to go back and listen to our mm, episode yep. on the Evil Dead Pretty controversial stance. Yeah. I kind of like the original Evil so Dead more yeah. than Evil Dead 2. <laughs> I do too. A lot of people disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, that's though. okay. All right. A lot of people love Hellraiser 2, and it is awesome. It's not as good as the first one. Yeah. There are some really good ones, and we are covering Oh, yeah, them. yeah. There's actually one franchise that I'm avoiding saying because I think the sequel that we're doing is great. And yeah, once yeah. we do it, everyone will remember that we said this. Right, right. Before. We've talked about it before. But, Yeah. Most of the time, though, it is diminishing returns as you come back time after time. The movie quality starts to dip. The story doesn't make sense. They're really taking leaps and bounds to make you think that the yeah. killer can keep coming back and whatever. And, of course, if they stuck with the Sidney Prescott thing, it does reach the point of absurdity. It really does after the second time where you're like, what the fuck? This is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Why would this keep happening? If this many people want to kill the same person. <laughs> Yeah, at a certain point, you're like, yeah. well, should she be killed? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of other people have died now for her. I got to tell you, she seems to make a lot of enemies. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't like her. Yeah. So let's do a quick Scream recap. We covered Scream a couple years ago. I wish I would have written down the episode number and the date, but I didn't really think of that. But in case you needed a little refresher, we're in the all-American small town of Woodsboro on the anniversary of Sidney Prescott's mother's murder Sid and her friends are targeted by a masked killer, later come to be known as Ghostface. Ultimately, it turns into two killers. Her boyfriend, Billy Loomis, and his best friend, Stu Mocker. There were some survivors, including Sidney, played by Nev Campbell. We had Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox, the investigative journalist who then writes a book, which is a mm -hmm. big part of Scream 2. Dewey Riley, who is the goofy deputy sheriff. His sister is murdered 
in the first film. Never talked about again. She is mentioned for one second in this movie, which stuck out to me because yeah. of how much they don't mention her throughout this series, yeah. which is so weird. And Randy Meeks, played by Jamie Kennedy. I think I speak for everyone. We would have been okay if, if Jamie Kennedy didn't make it through the original, but okay, fine. Yeah. He always had lines that were good for the trailers. Yes. You know? I don't really consider myself a big Jamie Kennedy fan or anything, but I will say that he's fine in Scream and Scream 2. I th- I I'm, so I'm fine too. with it. I think so, too. I actually hate the way that he dies in this. I don't hate that he dies. I just don't like the middle of the day. Yeah. Well, uh, you could save it till we get yeah, to that well, scene. Okay. <laughs> and Cotton Weary, uh-huh. played by Liev Schreiber, who was the man wrongfully convicted of killing Sidney's mom, and then the tie-in with this movie is... He was largely put away on the strength of Sydney's testimony, which if you watch the first film, you understand that she's not lying or anything, but she was tricked into thinking, and so she testifies a certain way. Cotton goes to prison. Gail is a huge part of him getting out of prison. Yeah. It's all very incestuous, of course, when Cotton um, shows up and he's like a part of this. A lot of complicated relationships going on. (laughs) Yeah. Williamson had been contracted for two potential sequels to Scream when selling the script for the original based on five-page proposals he attached to the script hoping to entice prospective buyers with the fact that they would not just be buying one film but a franchise. And after a successful test screening for the original at which Miramax executives were present, Craven was also given a contract to direct two future films. So they knew pretty early they had something special. Which is nice for Craven because it always fucking killed him that he didn't really get anything out of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels yeah, yeah. in the franchise. Even though he created it, he didn't even write Scream, and then he got to have a nice thing, little franchise yeah. later. Where was he at when Scream 1 happens? Well, like, I career-wise. think the movie we were talking about before we started recording, A New Nightmare, Okay, I think that would have been 94. Okay, so yeah. So he was kind of coming back to horror. I know he'd made Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep at some point in the 90s, which Uh was his one attempt to not do horror. I don't know what year that would have been. That might have been in between two and three. That might have been like 98. Yeah. Because at that point, he probably was allowed to do something else. He was allowed to do a project. He made a lot of duds at various points in his career. He's sort of an up-and-down director in terms of quality. Some of his films are disturbing and weird yeah obviously the early stuff and then once he started to work with bigger budgets it's kind of hit or miss some of his films in the 80s like shocker and i think one's called maybe deadly blessing or something i don't know some Hmm. of those movies are like not that good yeah yeah and then his swamp thing i've seen parts of it i have it now on 4k i haven't watched it since i bought it yeah yeah sort of like carpenter although i consider carpenter Way better, way more think, influential, yeah. and way more consistent, even though he also got terrible at a certain point. Mm-hmm. But his run is way stronger. I don't know that Craven ever made what I would consider a perfect film. I think Scream is the closest to it. Probably. Although, if he would have had more budget and more technology, the original Nightmare on Elm Street True. is genius. That's right up And there. is perfect yeah. in its own way. But Halloween and The Thing are almost another level. Yeah. So I, I do have Carpenter ahead of Craven. And the, the thing with Scream is, look, the director gets the credit for the final product, but it's hard not to associate a lot of the brilliance with Scream to the script. Yeah, of course, for sure. And frankly, if you go back and listen to our Scream episode, we probably bitch about that opening that he... I don't know that they really edited that the right way. Yeah. Remember, there's that moment where it should just hit like, 
boom scream mm-hmm. right at that and it's it's all like jumbled in a weird order right and it's not it doesn't hit as hard as it should yeah but whatever let's not get too deep down that rabbit hole <laughs> you've got some notes we got to get through despite the lightning quick turnaround scream 2 is actually set two years after scream which is unnecessarily confusing but it's probably because the actors were way older than they were playing anyway so they're like yeah. we got to start jumping it up in time let me just give a little bit of my perspective, which I'm sure I talked about on the Scream episode. As a nine-year-old kid, eight, nine years old, when Scream 1 trailers start being on TV, I'm like, this looks like the most terrifying thing. The trailer, to me, was enough to like give me nightmares. Yeah. Um, I had that same reaction to a commercial advertising just airing one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I don't know which one it was. I think it was just a commercial that it's going to be on this channel or mm-hmm. something. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it was well, so terrifying to me. Well, I'll tell you this one, which will be funny to you. So remember the TV Guide channel? Yeah. And it would show trailers for stuff right. at the top. Dude, trailers for Halloween 6? Yeah, I think you told this before. Yeah, I probably did. I remember this, yeah. So uh, fucking scared me so bad. You know what would have made that not scary is actually seeing Halloween I know. 6. <laughs> One of the least scary films ever made. But it's funny. So I get away from this now. A year has passed. I'm a 10 years old now or whatever. I still am not seeing Scream 2, but my older cousins are seeing it. I still am carrying this memory of seeing the commercials and being like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is horrible. Like, I can't be a part of this world. And they're just like, oh, it's not scary. It's more like blood and guts. That's the way they described it to me. Yeah. That always stuck out to me. It's not scary. It's blood and guts. Guys, blood and guts is pretty messed up to me. The opening is pretty bloody, but I'd say overall it's maybe less gory than the first. Yeah. There's nothing that can compete with Casey's boyfriend, Steve, with his guts falling totally. out of his yeah. stomach. That is wild. That, that is in a regular slasher right. movie. That original opening scene with the what's your favorite scary movie, Like I think does a great job of building suspense. I don't know that anything in this movie is ever as suspenseful. Well, no, but that's a high bar to climb. Totally. Because I think okay. that's one of the best well, film true. openings ever. Absolutely, yeah. But I just mean, I don't know that this one ever hits that level of suspense. At- no, probably not that level, but there's a few good scenes. Totally. For sure. Yeah. The one weird thing about Scream 2, and we'll get to this later, is how long some of the sequences are. And I do think you could have trimmed 15 minutes out of this. I know you become a broken record because I say that about a lot of movies, and obviously you do too. Oh, yeah. But, but this it's is, a slasher movie. It yeah. doesn't need to be two hours, especially is when there's two, not yeah. really that many things happening yeah. in it. You could leave everything in, every mm-hmm. scene. Just make the scene shorter because there's so much mm-hmm. to some of these sequences. And they do three really long ones, and we'll get to that later once we actually cover them. So new cast additions coming in for Scream 2. You have Sarah Michelle Gellar, who literally went right from filming, I Know What You Did Last Summer, right into this. Didn't even read the script, just accepted it because it was a sequel to Scream. The yeah. same people were involved. Didn't even read the script before she did her scenes. <laughs> it's bizarre that she's in this movie. Yeah, I agree. It throws me for a loop every time because... Well, she seemed like a really big star at that time in life. But she probably wasn't. It's I... probably just when you saw the movie, she was a big star. Because yeah. was Buffy even on in 97? I don't even know what year yeah, that started. Yeah, that's true. It probably was. It would have been right around there, yeah. She was on the precipice because I don't yeah. think if she was actually as big as you're thinking, she probably wouldn't have taken the fifth lead in this movie. I thought of her as a big star being in I Know What You Did Last Summer, but again, my perception is warped. 
the people that I think of are stars is who are my female cousins hanging pictures of on their wall from like teen magazine, right. all four of the leads <laughs> from, I know what you did last summer. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Frankly. Also, Laurie Metcalf, Elise Neal, Jerry O'Connell, Timothy Oliphant, Jada Pinkett, and Omar Epps, plus a whole plethora of other familiar faces sprinkled in, like Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi, and Joshua Jackson. The other major thing with Scream 2 that I love and probably didn't care that much about when I first decided I didn't like it is all of the stab stuff. Because when you're younger you're less inclined to be appreciating meta aspects and self-commentary and self-awareness and goofing on tropes and all these different things. Mm -hmm. So to me, as a kid, the stab footage is fake because it's a movie within a movie, so it's hard to feel any suspense about it, and you're not appreciating it on any level other than, oh, this is just taking up time. Right. But now I find the stab stuff kind of funny and interesting. I love it now. I love this. I love it. When they actually cut to Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling doing that scene. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, this dying. is the only time we're going to be talking about the yeah. stab stuff, so we, we can mention it all okay, now. Okay, okay. It's Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, Heather Graham. It was shot by Robert Rodriguez. That's awesome. The funny joke is that there was a reference in Scream Nev Campbell makes, oh, what is Tori Spelling going to play me in a movie of my life? Tori Spelling was a good sport about the joke. They asked her to do this. It's pretty funny. The opening with Heather Graham, it seems real. If the event with Drew Barrymore was actually real and you were going to make a movie about it, it seems pretty close. Granted, they threw in the shower thing, but it's the stuff with Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling. Because it's Luke Wilson doing those lines. In his like, it's delivery. the way the cookie crumbles, <laughs> which is not something that Billy Loomis actually says, yeah. but it's funny that Williamson was willing to make fun of one of the weirdest, cheesiest scenes in Scream. There was definitely self awareness because that oh, scene yeah. is weird for sure. Where you're like, I get that he's like a dickhead and he's actually the killer, but the fact that he says that out loud and thinks that's a good point makes you think he's the dumbest person you've ever seen. Well, it's like, are you giving yourself away? Like, it is weird that in that movie that she continues to date him after that scene i know because it does seem like such a crazy thing yeah. to say oh well my mom left and that's the same thing as your mom being brutally <laughs> raped and murdered yeah really <laughs> you're out of touch while writing the script for scream williamson also developed two five page treatments for the sequels as i said so now after the release of scream Williamson would confirm that he had considered a sequel concept where the character of Sidney Prescott would now be attending college and a copycat Ghostface killer would start a new series of murders. Dimension Films agreed to pursue the sequel in March of 97, by which point Williamson had already 42 pages of the plot developed, which involved four different killers. I'm not going to list them because that sort of ruins it for later. By July of 97, filming began on Scream 2. But after Williamson transferred his script to the production, it was leaked onto the internet in full, revealing the identity of the killers and a large amount of the involved plot. Oof. This resulted in the production continuing to film with only a partial script while Williamson conducted extensive rewrites, changing much of the film's finale, the identity of the film's killers, and drastically altering the roles of other characters, such as Randy Meeks and Joel, the cameraman. 
So this would have been one of the first, if not the first time that something like this happened. And it threw everyone for a loop because obviously it was something they had never even considered happening before. So they didn't know how to react to it. I think they probably overreacted a little bit because the internet was not that pervasive yet. That's right. And I think most moviegoers would not have known what the ending was going to be. However, they had no way of knowing. They couldn't gauge it. Well, what if the local news in a couple cities started saying, oh, this is online, and even if they didn't reveal it, they just alerted people to it. You know what I mean? Like the word could start spreading. I would have been 10 years away from even trying to be able to track something down like this. Even by 2007, I don't know if I'm finding something that's leaked on the internet. I don't internet. know that you would be finding it today, frankly. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid another such incident and prevent sensitive plot deals from being revealed through other means, the actors were not given the last pages of the script until weeks before shooting, and the pages that revealed the killer's identity were only provided on the day the scene was shot to the actors involved. The short production schedule on Scream 2 and his work on other projects meant that Williamson's final script Use for the film was detailed in some areas but lacking in others, with Wes Craven forced to write and develop certain scenes as they were being filmed. Sometimes Williamson would just say, and Wes will make it scary. There were notes like that in the script. Oh, wow. Because I think he had already started working on other projects, and they're like, oh, shit, this leaked online. Can you fix this? But he's writing other movies. I'll give you some notes. The faculty. Yeah. (laughs) Which I never even realized was directed by Robert Rodriguez until very recently. Oh, wow. That was shocking to me. No, I don't. Yeah, I didn't know that. Maybe you and I talked about it at one point. No, I mean, I just found out the other day. Okay, yeah, no, then I don't think I knew that. But now it makes more sense to me that he filmed those other scenes for Scream 2. Yeah. Because that made a little question mark go above my head when you brought that up. Well, he had already worked for. Miramax and Dimension, yeah, and yeah, the Weinstein's and everything. Which, yes, of course, the Weinstein's are involved in this. It gets kind of tiring to have to mention it every time. They had their hands on a lot of movies. Yeah, it's just the way it is when you're doing a podcast yeah. about old movies. Now, the incident of the script leaking was the first in which a film was significantly altered or affected by an internet leak. In 2017, Williamson claimed the leak script was a dummy draft that was crafted specifically to avoid leak details. This gets confusing for someone like me who's putting together notes for a podcast because a lot of the did you knows and the tidbits and the little factoids are based on a script that Williamson now says was never going to be the real script. So then you don't know whether or not to even include some of these did you knows because it's all based on a script that wasn't real in the first place. I don't know. By the way, this is the fake version of the Scream 2 episode we're going to do. The real version will be... Released at a later date. Williamson claimed there were three dummy endings written. They were worried the killer's identity would be leaked, so we wrote several endings, three in all, if memory serves, and when actors and potential crew members asked to read the script, we would send the script with the dummy ending. There was even a fake ending where Dewey was the killer. They existed as a decoy and nothing more. Extreme measures, but we really wanted to keep the killer's identity a secret. Some of the alternative titles that they did not go with were Scream Again, Scream Louder, and the working title, which was Scream the Sequel. It actually was the studio that made them change it because I think they were going to go with Scream the Sequel, which would have been stupid. All those names stink. Scream 2 is definitely the right choice. Well, since they named Scream 5 Scream. I didn't like that. I didn't like it either. So when they did a sequel to Scream 5, I did start saying they should call it Screams with an S. (laughs) Because at that point I thought, well, if we're just fucking up the whole thing why not just go weird with the titles now 
but then they went back to six for some reason. I have no idea if I would assume that they're going to do another one, a trilogy for these, but yeah. I haven't even really heard anything. And then the strikes happened. And well, they certainly will do more. I guess it's just a question of is it part of this current run or something else? I think this current one did well enough to do more. But I would I think, don't know. yeah. I can't remember now. They, oh. not, but they might not be able to get Jenna Ortega back now. I'm sure they made these people sign yeah, yeah. three movie deals. They're, they don't mess around with that stuff no, anymore. No. Originally, Scream 2 was scheduled to open alongside both Tomorrow Never Dies and Titanic, but wow. both of those movies shifted their dates so as to not be pitted against Scream 2. Holy shit, really? Oddly enough, David Warner had roles in both this movie and Titanic and another movie that we're going to be recording after this, which is weird. Wow, that is weird. Yeah, it makes sense, though. Scream was a known commodity. Yeah. Now, you could say the same thing about James Bond, but I never really felt like the Pierce Brosnan ones were no, and su- I, a super that big That had deal. to be like one of the least... I would think that was a low performer. You have to remember that a lot of people thought that Titanic was going to be a disaster, so why would you take a chance oh, that's true, yeah. against a proven commodity? And even if Titanic would have beaten Scream 2 opening weekend it still would have cut into it in a way where it may have affected its long-term box office too. It just is a smart play. Yeah, It seems weird because it's one of the highest grossing films of all time, but they didn't know for sure. So why mess with it? Just get it on a free and clear weekend. Move on. The events of Scream 2 see our heroine from the first film, Sidney Prescott, trying to pick up the pieces after the horrific kill spree back in her hometown of Woodsboro by going off to college which Matt has informed us is in Ohio. Uh, Do they ever say that in the movie? Well, it's on the Wikipedia, so I assume it's mentioned somewhere. Windsor College in Ohio. She's chosen the fictional college of Windsor, as does fellow Woodsboro survivor Randy Meeks, played by Jamie Kennedy. However, it's never easy for Sydney. In no time, the murders and requisite media frenzy start all over again. Now... Regardless of the association with the Weinsteins, I do love seeing the old Dimension logo. Is Dimension still in existence? I don't know. I know that it was part of Miramax, and then the Weinsteins started the Weinstein Company, but Miramax is still kind of around. I don't know if you ever see Dimension anymore, but it used to be associated with horror and Scream. You would see that Dimension logo. It really took me back. Yeah. I remember the TV spots would always start with it. (laughs) We open by being plunged into another level of meta, one that makes perfect sense in the universe of Scream. Two Windsor College seniors, Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens, played by Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps, attend a sneak preview of Stab, a film based on the events of the Woodsboro Massacre by way of a book written by Gail Weathers, the very events that those of us know as the fictional film Scream. So now we're basically starting a sequel with a film that's based on the events of the first film. Stab becomes like a Rocky Horror Picture type screening event for these people. Yeah, Stab factors a lot into both three and four, and then it just is almost taken for granted in five and six. Like, of course, Stab is something we all know and talk about. It's a big part of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) It really is a lot of new possibilities for satire and comedy including themselves in the spoof and homage. It's Mm -hmm. almost as if they're saying, look, we spoofed and homaged horror films that are classics, and now we are. So now we're making fun of ourselves too. 
the movie opens in a movie theater. Everyone's being handed ghost face masks. It pulls the audience directly into their world yeah, because yeah. you're watching this in a theater, let's say, and then the opening is a theater, except the theater they're in is insane. Everyone is completely losing their minds. They're screaming, jumping everywhere, all wearing masks. It's chaotic, but you can relate on some level. I'm seeing Scream 2. They're seeing Stab. You're looking around. This is the same <laughs> yeah, world. Right. I hate scary movies. I should be studying. You know I got a bio. Baby, did I mention that these tickets are free? Free. Sandra Bullock is playing right down the street. Nobody want to pay seven fifty to see some Sandra Bullock shit. That she naked. Oh, but you will sit through a movie called Stab. Adrenaline Marine. It's good to be scared. It's primal. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm gonna tell you what it is, okay? What? It's a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls <laughs> getting their white asses cut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> yeah, I suppose Sandra Bullock is Miss Ethnicity, right? Well, no, all I'm saying is that the horror genre is historical for excluding the African American element. Well, then how you get your PhD in black cinema, Sister Soldier? Listen, I read my Entertainment Weekly, okay? I know my shit. Yeah, Maureen, I read my Black Beat too, homie. Tonight we're gonna have an all-black movie, all-black cast, all-black wardrobe, black uh, eyes, everything, black eyed peas, the black cats. You give me one. <laughs> Crazy. Thank you. Hi, here you go. What's this? Stab souvenirs. The studio sent them, and it's white. <laughs> Thanks. Who is this? Were you expecting somebody? 
the star 69 is ass. Damn. Who is this? Who would you like it to be? I like this opening because it's so weird and different. It's the only Scream movie that doesn't open with a phone call yeah. from the killer. Some people maybe would not like it because it changes it up. Yeah, when you look at the full spectrum of Scream movies, this one kind of starts you off a little bit more off balance. And it's a long build. Well, yeah, I think they wanted to try something completely different. They obviously needed yeah. diversity because oh, the first totally. film is very white. Mm-hmm. So they kick off with an African-American couple. We don't know who these people are, but they are going to see this film. And then as the film starts playing, we recognize Heather Graham. She seems to be dressed up to look like Drew Barrymore with that same hairstyle and the whole thing. And it starts to dawn on you how meta this all feels. It's got to be very unique for 1997. Oh, I would think. Yeah. Craven had dabbled in the meta with New Nightmare, which is a whole other level, really, because it's very bizarre with Heather Langenkamp playing herself and Robert Englund playing himself, plus Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And the real world and the movie are the same somehow. But that movie, while interesting, ultimately fails at being entertaining, whereas Scream 2 is still a lot of fun, even though it gets very much up its own ass. But that's sort of the fun of Scream in general. Mm-hmm. Like Scream, though, everyone is very fluent in film discussion. The references flying at you left and right. Nothing too deep, but still in a way that people don't generally talk all the time. <laughs> I wish people did. Seriously, what a world that would be. Imagine you're going to a movie with Jada Pinkett in 1997 and she's just talking about movies like this. Or any of the characters from the first Scream. <laughs> Which we talked about when we covered it. What a dream it would be if all the popular kids at school talked about <laughs> movies the same way us losers did. <laughs> We're hearing Red Right Hand playing. It seems to be the anthem of oh, yeah. Scream. It's in all the films. There's a psycho homage in Stab with the shower, the camera up at the shower mm-hmm. head. Heather Graham has some hilarious lines because they definitely were not shying away from goofing on themselves. She says something to the effect of, To the guy on the phone, I don't even know you, but I already dislike you. (laughs) Which is such a cheesy line. (laughs) Briefly exiting the theater to use the bathroom, Phil is killed by a masked person. Ghostface lives. It's actually really weird. I think on the surface, he gets stabbed in the bathroom. Okay. But when you actually pay attention to that scene, I don't know what's going on. You hear those weird voices in the other stall. It sounds... Like maybe a woman. Yeah. Somebody says mommy at one point. You're like, what the fuck is going on? So he puts his ear to the thing and then all of a sudden he's stabbed. But it does sound like a real creep is in the stall. Yeah. A lot of stuff is going on. And once the identity of the killers is revealed, I am curious as to which one this is supposed to be. And what was happening this night? I don't know. You mean in the stall? Not even just in the stall. This whole thing of killing these two in this theater. Well, that's the names. Yeah. It's a loose connection, but they try to explain how they're connected yeah, yeah. in some way. It seems like this was going to be a hard plan. It seems like these two have to be random because of how weird it would be to make this plan come to fruition. Right. And it would seemingly be a lot easier just to kill them at their house yeah. than to do it in public. Right. But I guess you wanted to make a grand statement that's part of upping the ante for a sequel. That's right. The meta mentality of yep. our killers here. They need to really announce their presence, make a statement. I don't like games. Who is this? Look out back. Is your boyfriend anywhere? I don't even have a boyfriend right now. Would you like one? 
Can I give me some money? I need to get some popcorn. You got money. I got my money. I asked for your money. What do you say? Thank you. You know, I don't even know you, and I dislike you already. no butter and a small diet Pepsi. You got it. That's it. I am not going back in there. Come on, you chicken shit. It's just a movie. No, it's not just a movie. It's a true story. All these kids got killed a couple years ago in California. Scary movies are great for play. <laughs> Excuse me? Let's go see Sandra Bullock. Oh, no. Sandra started already. We can stay. Just stop playing so much. All right. I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> see you inside. Sorry. Hello?
Ghostface then sits beside Maureen in the theater, taking Phil's place, stabbing her repeatedly, unnoticed by the rowdy crowd. Who's just going nuts. Leading her to climb up onto the theater stage in a desperate cry for help, which the audience mistakes for a publicity stunt until she falls dead. As I said, this is the only film in the franchise in which the first murder victims in the opening do not have a phone conversation with the killer. Now this is going to blow your fucking mind. Oh boy. One of the possible ideas for the opening would have been to have none other than your favorites Mm. and mine, Alicia Silverstone and Liv Tyler. Oh, wow. Coming out of those Aerosmith videos right into Scream. (laughs) How wild would that have been? Seriously. (laughs) That would have been nuts. I like the simultaneous kills, the one going on on screen with Heather Graham and then Mm -hmm. right below it, Jada Pinkett. That's kind of cool. I like the nice stark contrast of a dim lit theater versus what we remember of Casey's big bright house in the first one. The opening of this movie is really hard to tell what's going on sometimes, and not in a bad way. It's a little freaky. It does put you into that mindset of being in a crowded theater where something bad is happening, but you don't know what it is, and you can't see everyone, and you're not sure where the danger might come from. It adds to the atmosphere. I actually I'd think say so. I think it's a pretty effective opening. Is it going to be on the same level as Scream? No. Come on. But if you're ranking all of the openings from all of these movies... Well, this one stands out because of how different it is. I definitely think it's the second best. Okay, yeah. Scream 4s is cool, too. I did actually like the opening of the newest one, Scream 6. I did, too. I liked it more than the Ortega it one was, from 5, just yeah. because that felt like a rehash of right. the Barrymore one. I thought that this was a unique way of doing it. Well, not to spoil everything, but 6, I like the second layer of the fake-out. Yeah where you get the identity of this person right right away, and then you realize there's a whole other level going on, which was kind of unexpected. I thought so, yeah. No, 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 don't do that. Came back just in time. It looks like she's about to get it. Want some popcorn? Uh Uh-uh. See, if that was me, I would be out of there.
imagine us going to a movie screening that wild. I'd be like, we gotta go. I probably could have hung with it when I was younger. Definitely not now. I I wouldn't have. Oh, I'd be losing it. I'd be like, sit down. I went to a pretty rowdy screening of another Sarah Michelle Gellar film, The Grudge, where people were just parading through that theater. It was nonstop. And then at the the end, some kids stood up and yelled, this is fucking beat. And we all kind of agreed. Because I didn't really think The Grudge was that good. I did see it in the theater, though, too. It might have even been The Grudge, too. I can't remember. No, I think it was The Grudge. I don't think I ever saw Grudge, too. That's a movie that... Does that even exist? Who even remembers? It was a big hit, I think. I know, but I do feel like, isn't that another situation where the sequel was out? It seemed like the same year. Well, that was when they were remaking every Japanese horror film. Because The Ring was a big hit. Yeah, which we may actually do that next year Hmm. in Greatest October. The remake. I know that people probably want us to do the originals, but I really like the remake with Naomi Watts, so we might do it next year. Yeah. We'll see. Craven had difficulties passing scream through the film rating body the mpaa to receive an r rating to help the film remain commercially viable oh come on sending eight different cuts and requiring the direct intervention of dimension films founder bob weinstein to eventually obtain the necessary rating to release the film without significant cuts however on scream 2 Craven attempted to manipulate the MPAA by sending them a version of the film that had been edited to focus on and enhance the gore and violence present beyond what they actually wanted in the film, including reusing a clip of Omar Epps' character Phil Stevens being stabbed in the ear three times instead of only once as seen in the final film, and an extended scene of Randy Meeks' death that showed his throat being slashed. Craven's reasoning was that the parts of the film they wished to keep would be more acceptable when viewed with the enhanced violence, and so the MPA would force them to remove the footage they already did not want to keep while passing the content that they did want. Oh, my gosh. However, the MPA <laughs> granted Scream 2 an R rating for the more violent cut, as they <laughs> believe the underlying message of the film was significant enough to warrant the violence. What does that I know, mean? Yeah. What is the underlying it, message of this film? Don't go to college? <laughs> so then they edited it anyway, because... They didn't want that stuff, yeah, yeah. and it made it seem stupid. So then they did like, oh, well, actually, Backfired. we're taking some of this out. Yeah. <laughs> but just like the original, I think the violence level remains pretty high. It pulls no punches. It's not quite as gory, but this opening is bloody. Yeah. With the release of Stab, based on a book by Gail Weathers, coinciding with fresh new murders, the news media descends on Windsor College, where Sidney Prescott is a student. Selling these rights... Why does Gail still need to work? How much money do you think they give you for a book, especially if you've never had another book adapted? Well... It's not retirement money. Okay. (laughs) It might be like a couple hundred thousand. All right. At most. They might offer like 50,000. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. The first time, you might not get a ton. Now, if you become a known commodity... Stephen King. Right. He's probably a billionaire just from the films. optioning... I don't know. She probably did had a nice little payday. It's yeah. not the it's not like FU money. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Alongside Sid's roommate, Hallie McDaniel, played by Elise Neal, we have Sid's new boyfriend, Derek Feldman, played by Jerry O'Connell. How weird is it in retrospect to be seeing O'Connell in ninety seven playing? I know these people are in college, but for all intents and purposes they're supposed to be like late teenagers. Yeah. Like so weird. Well, stand by me. Would have only been 11 years earlier. That's true. So he 
could conceivably be in his early 20s, right? No, yeah, I know. Which is not off from the other characters. But it, there's something about it that seems weird. O'Connell is sort of like a lot of other people. When you go back and you look at their careers, they jump around in what age they were playing. Yeah, that's true. So then it throws you off right. later. I felt like Melissa Joan Hart was playing a high schooler for like 12 years at one yeah. point because of popping up in some of those teen movies later. Mm-hmm. It was very weird with certain people. I wonder if he called up his old buddy Corey from Stand By Me to tell him he was playing a character with his last name. I wonder if that conversation ever happened. I don't know. Do you think those two remained friends? I'm getting the sense that they didn't run the same social circles. No, but I think you'd be surprised. Yeah. They I'm didn't sure. really have well, texting in 97. Yeah, that feels like a text. <laughs> Not a call. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I feel like if you were like a kid actor in a movie with another kid actor, it's sort of like summer camp. It's same way with the Goonies. I think they yeah. all sort of understand that Corey's a little weird, and they mm-hmm. just sort of deal with it. Yeah. Plus Randy, and then Derek's best friend Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant. They're also in the mix. Almost right away, before Sydney even knows about the murders at the movie theater, they're showing a televised interview with the newly exonerated Cotton Weary. So no matter what, even if these new murders didn't start, we're still at a point where Sid is dealing with this and will always deal with this. She's been surrounded by death. One thing that Scream does not do, because horror movies used to not give a shit, is wallow in trauma, which is basically every horror movie now. Because when you think about it, she would be way more fucked up, especially after this movie, than she ever is in the movies. They pointed out a little bit oh she (laughs) has a gun now or whatever but she still seems pretty normal i think by the second or third murder around you after your mom you'd probably snap and fucking lose it but she never seems to because that's not what horror movies were back then right the horror movie was ghostface might kill you not how are you gonna feel about it in a year (laughs) (laughs) which is what all of them are now (laughs) not that there aren't any good ones but I'd still like some that just take joy in yeah. kills and things like that. A24 scream is just Sydney in an insane asylum. <laughs> Screaming at a wall. Yeah. She gets prank phone calls, but she uses caller ID. Nice little joke to kick things off. Right. I guess. Technology was changing so rapidly that to even keep up with what they established in the original movie, you kind of had to make adaptations all the time. And Something that doesn't get talked about enough, the fact that everyone can get these voice changers that make your voice sound that exact same way. Yeah, which is disappointing because they don't really exist in real life. (laughs) Nev Campbell would shoot Party of Five on Mondays and Tuesdays during the day and spent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on this movie, most of which were night shoots. Wow. On Sundays, she would work all night until 6 a.m., go home for 15 minutes to shower off all the fake blood, and immediately go to Party of Five set to shoot all day without sleeping. Although, if you're only doing the show, not a bad work week. That's true. Yeah. Although, they could have long days. That's true. I think that it's a reminder of not only Campbell's work ethic and commitment, but how much of a big part she was in this franchise, and she carries the first three films for sure, and then once you get to four, her role starts moving more towards the background, especially in five where her and Cox barely feel like they're involved in the main story. And so it does bring up the bad vibe about what happened with six. I think we've covered this already when we talked about six during one of our recommendation segment, but I guess just to repeat ourselves, 
I think we were both fine with moving away from the Sidney Prescott story just because at a certain point it gets ridiculous. I know. But at the same time, I didn't really feel great about them lowballing her and then just sort of being like, well, I guess you're not in it now, but Courtney Cox will still be in it and we're moving on, even though you were the girl, the person who carried this. Well, it just felt a little cold yeah. to throw her aside without really, I, I don't know. I guess they probably did want to move on and they yeah. just couldn't. I knew they couldn't parade on with it forever, but I think like once we got past four, I was ready for if there was a Scream movie, Arquette, Cox, Campbell, in it, and they can't die. Like, yeah. I was just ready to be in that world. If one of them's going to die, don't make it. Move on. Like, new cast altogether. Right. And instead, spoiler alert, they do kill Arquette in five. Yeah. Sydney is still alive in the universe but she just doesn't appear in six. They do mention her. Right. Now, Gail, you're almost convinced a thousand percent that she's dead in six and then somehow doesn't actually seem to be. Which was basically a theme with multiple characters in six, which was a big complaint for me. And then you realize, though, they've been doing it all along. Well. Because they kind of do it in one with Randy and Dewey. Yeah, that's true. And then they do it in this movie again with Dewey. I know, but I thought it was pretty rough in six with. Yeah, they they couldn't commit to killing anyone in six, but. Yeah, I don't know that there's ever been anyone stabbed and shot more than Gail Weathers. I think she's been shot in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow she's still alive. She's a tough cookie. She's 50 cents. I cent. love Gail Weathers. And that may be the best fictional character that's ever existed. Okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> she's excellent in this movie. I don't know about overall. I don't. Do you remember Courtney Cox's bangs in Scream 3? It's one of the most insane things that anyone's ever done in film. I'll say something controversial. I'm here for it. You liked those bangs in Scream 3? I'm okay with it. It looked like like a <laughs> child had cut them with child scissors. They didn't even look straight. It was so weird. It was I don't a, know. She it was just... the weirdest hair of her life. All right. It was a weird time for everybody. Believe me, we're going to get into praise for her in this yeah. film because I definitely think she's the star of this Three movie. Three bangs when she was just rocking the streaks. <laughs> nice streaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Maguire was offered the part of Mickey. Kind of think that could have been interesting yeah i would have gone for maybe more of a norman bates type performance out of mcguire there instead of the as they call him tarantino school guy oh, or whatever yeah. they refer to him as which is funny because oliphant ends up being in once upon right. a time in hollywood oliphant is good at being that unhinged creep but still able to sort of carry himself dude hallie is trying desperately to pull sid out of her shell it's got to be a real bummer to go to college and then your roommate is someone who's come from this well i know and it really there's definitely a crossover to the end of i know what you did last summer and then i still know what you did last summer where someone's just stuck with this roommate who's a bummer yeah like constantly freaking out yeah i mean enjoy your time with your therapist i'm like trying to hit the club oh your mom was murdered oh and your best friend oh great and seemingly several people around you and it's all because of you yeah oh aren't you so fucking special That's like Sydney's big thing. Do you know how many people have been murdered because of me and they still haven't got me yet? (laughs) (laughs) Early on in the movie, there's a pretty fun classroom scene. I think a lot of people like it. I certainly do. It's probably the closest feeling to a lot of those scenes from Scream in terms of the movie discussions and references and everything. But in this setting, it actually makes sense because they're in a college film class. Although... Would a professor be chatting so cavalierly in the wake of real murders? Because they reference the real murders, and that's what they're talking about. They're talking about two students who went to their college 
who got murdered and then are trying to decide whether or not the film is to blame, which is a valid thing to talk about in film class. But I just feel like the way the professor is talking about it the morning after the murder seems nuts. (laughs) I would say they cancel class. Yeah, first of all, they probably wouldn't be having (laughs) class. Second of all, if they did, I don't think he would be talking about it as in that way. It would be more of, does anybody going through anything that they need to talk about? Processing it for real, not how do we tie this in with film. Kids, we've brought in a therapist to class today. (laughs) Sydney's normal therapist is going to treat the class today. (laughs) Yeah, she's got a lot of experience. (laughs) Among the class is a girl named Cece, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Two other names in the mix were Reese Witherspoon and Alicia Silverstone. So Silverstone was talked about for this movie. It didn't happen. They just couldn't land her. Cece was not originally supposed to be in this scene, which is sort of strange. But I think she's actually supposed to be in that scene where those girls come up to Sydney and talk about the sorority. Although she's in a different sorority. I know that she was supposed to be in a different scene and then they moved her to the classroom scene instead. I don't know why. I guess they just felt like, well, we have Sarah Michelle Gellar. She needs to be in more than one scene. They need to establish who she is before she gets killed. Right. They talk about life imitating art, and all of that is cool, and it all fits in with Scream. Having students talk about the murders and relating them to movies, of of course, makes sense for Scream. But it's also kind of dark when you think about all of the real Scream copycat killings that happened because of these. Well, not because of the movies, but they took things from them, and there's a lot of dark roads to go down if you want to go on wikipedia Mm. joshua jackson is in this class oh yeah famously he botches the dialogue here because he's supposed to get the aliens to quote wrong right and randy corrects him which is how the scene plays out but he actually says the right line (laughs) and randy jamie kennedy improvised and just said it the wrong way as if that that was the right way yeah but I still was thinking, okay, that's a smart thing to improvise as if you were on stage or doing a skit on SNL. Why but not you're doing do a movie, just here? redo it yeah. so that Randy doesn't seem like an idiot. Craven was just like, I got what I needed, folks. Moving on. Moving on. Yep. Counting the money <laughs> that they were delivering. Sydney comes, pulls Randy out of class. Look, dude, we got to talk about this. We got a problem. Randy just does whatever because he's in love with Sydney, which he does reference. He openly talks about it. Yeah, in both movies and then more so in this one at the beginning. But it never really feels like Dizzy in Starship Troopers. He's able to keep it more subdued. But mm-hmm. then again, he knows there's no chance. Whereas Dizzy, she's going for it. <laughs> Definitely. She thinks there's a chance. Oh, yeah. I don't think Randy actually thinks there's ever going to be a no, chance. No. But he's willing to just live in her shadow. For some reason, when they walk out of the classroom and start talking about the killings on campus and they start trying to figure out if it's going to be another killing spree all over again. Randy inexplicably switches to an English accent for the rest of the scene. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. It's Jamie Kennedy. That's So you just go with it as if he's doing a bit, but well, there's no explanation as to why he's doing it. I think, and you hit on it earlier, I am also not a Jamie Kennedy fan, but I've always thought he's good and fine as this character, but this is where he's weaving into being Jamie Kennedy. He's trying too hard to be funny, because yeah. I think... In a podcast recently, they showed Jamie Kennedy the scene, and he just burst out laughing because he didn't really know why he did that. Yeah. It was just, I guess, probably trying to be funny. I don't know why Wes let it stay in there. I know. Other than maybe he was entertained by it, too. I'm not. (laughs) Cut it. He hates Derek, of course, because Derek's moved in to the scene. Oh, yeah. He's the big, muscular jock guy. Boo. Randy stinks. (laughs) 
Amongst the media flocking to Windsor are local journalist Debbie Salt, played by Laurie Metcalf, and of course the legendary Gail Weathers, played by Cox, with her new cameraman, Joel Jones, as you remember her previous cameraman, was killed. Now, I don't necessarily want to spoil the ending, but I think we have to say this. It's absolutely wild that Gail doesn't know who Debbie really is and doesn't recognize her. Gail had to have researched this shit to write multiple that books, true, r- yeah. make multiple reports on what happened. You would think she would be aware of some plastic surgery or whatever's going on here. I think they just sort of reference a haircut, a makeover, losing, losing weight. 60 pounds. I, yeah. It's possible. Okay. But it just seems unlikely. I guess the idea is that she's so dismissive that she's not taking the time to actually look at this person even. Yeah, that's true. She's Which does, a gnat that's bothering me. Yeah, Get away from me. And that does track with her character. Right. Yeah, it's not yeah. something that completely takes me out of the movie. Right. It just seems weird. It does seem like she would know. But yeah, it's funny. I wrote Courtney Cox, Gail Weathers discussion already, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, no, no, no. I'm correcting my own notes. We, we're going to get into that later. Yeah, yeah. There's way more coming up. Hold for now, please. <laughs> Louis Arquette plays Chief Hartley. He's the real-life father of David and would eventually be the father-in-law of Courtney Cox. They weren't married yet. They got married in 99. But I recognized that guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that was David Arquette's dad. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I think he's in maybe Waiting for Guffman or one of the mm. early okay. Christopher Guest yeah. movies. He's in stuff like that. He just pops up as a guy. You've seen him. Yeah, yeah. Now that the campus is buzzing, Sydney and Gail turn back into the stars, the center of attention. For Sid, this is a curse, but for Gail, she embraces it. Hallie wants to pledge the Delta Lambda Zeta sorority, which includes among its members Lois, played by Rebecca Gayhart, and Murphy, played by Portia de Rossi. Another Woodsboro survivor, Dewey Riley, played by David Arquette, also shows up on campus to offer Sydney protection. So if Woodsboro is in California mm-hmm. and this college is in Ohio, it's nuts that he was able to get there that fast. <laughs> yeah, really. He was just waiting in the wings. Well, it is true. It's I guess that's a good point. Like, where is he staying? He got an apartment well, off see, campus. That's what it He's feels just been like, living yeah. there, just waiting for this to happen. What is Dewey even doing when Sid first spots him? He's standing on the sidewalk, staring up into the air, looking around at nothing. I don't know what he's doing. He's wandering around. I guess there's always this weird line with how weird and goofy they want to make Dewey. I'm like trying to fact check myself on this Windsor Colleges in Ohio. Somebody puts in parentheses, the police cars use Ohio plates. I don't know if that's a fair enough thing to base where the movie takes place based on our knowledge of how often license plates and movies are wrong let's make a pack right now yeah let's just drop it okay because <laughs> it doesn't matter well we do keep referencing it though i know which is yeah. why i'm saying we have right. to drop it fine rebecca gayhart originally auditioned for tatum in scream one mm. but lost out to rose mcgowan she then auditioned for cc in this film which went to sarah michelle geller finally she landed on this part Speaking of Tatum, they don't really mention her a lot. Yeah. What are you going to do? Family, not that broken up about it. <laughs> the town of Woodsboro signed a petition. <laughs> yeah, really. Also, Gayhart would later star in Urban Legend with Joshua Jackson, who's That's also right. in this yep. film, and is really cited as one of the biggest Scream ripoffs that came out around that time. Totally. Denise Richards was also offered a role, but was... Busy shooting wild things. I would assume that was probably CeCe. 
but I don't know. It didn't specify what role that was. Oh my god. Who's that? Uh, <laughs> I was worried about you. Yeah. I heard about what happened and I was on the next plane. Uh, Can we talk? Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? I'm fine, dude. I was. I mean, things were okay until now. But uh, theater's going great. I got my first starring role. We opened in two days. Mm -hmm. That is great. Uh, yeah, I'm loving it. And, and I've got some great friends. And uh, I'm seeing someone. Nice guy, pre-med, no apparent psychotic tendencies. I just worry. Looks it. If there is some freaked out psycho trying to follow in Billy Loomis's footsteps, you probably already know. Or her. Or them. They're probably already in your life. They get off on that. Just want you to be careful, Sid. Oh, you... You think I don't know that, do we? Oh, what am I supposed to do? Just cut everybody off, crawl under a rock? What? <sighs> Just watch out. I'm gonna talk to Chief Hartley and the local police. I'm gonna just hang around. I wanna make sure you're safe. That's all right with you. Yeah, I'd be on that. <laughs> Who's that guy? No friend. Deputy Dewey, what's bro's finest? What's he doing here? He's worried our surrogate big brother. Ah, nothing like a funeral to bring the family together. I'm gonna go say hi. Chief Hartley said the girl was stabbed seven. Drop it. Hello, Sydney. How are you? Hi. What do you want, Gail? Well, I was hoping I might get just a few words with you. Hi, Sydney. Here we are at Windsor College, where Sydney Prescott has just been reunited with Cotton Weary for the first time since she wrongly accused him of murdering her mother. What the hell are you doing? We want to know how you feel. Tell us everything that's happened looking back on the last two years. Uh, Sydney, I'd just like to say that I forgive and forget. Just like you, I'd like to get back on with my own life. Do you have any comments? You Bitch. Oh, Sydney, share with us, please. Oh, oh, I'll share with you. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Did you get that off film? Yes, I got that off film. While Dewey has arrived with the best intentions, Gail just cannot help herself. She unsuccessfully tries to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary, who is now looking to cash in and gain fame from his exoneration for the rape and murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. Hmm, where have we heard Maureen lately? <laughs> hmm. I do appreciate Sid's feistiness. It, it's always entertaining to me. She immediately slaps Gail. 
Gail, yeah. who saved her life in Scream, right. yeah. pisses her off so quickly that she's throwing hands. <laughs> <laughs> this time was just an open hand slap, though. In Scream, she punches her. Yeah, she straight up decks her. They really love red herrings in the franchise, but man, Scream 2 is full oh, yeah. of it because they really want you to think Cotton Weary is a killer several times. And but Derek, then Derek, I'd yeah, say. well, yeah. that's it. It's right. just filled with red herrings. Everybody is. Yeah likely to be the killer right but they really push the cotton thing obviously he's got motive we know that next up gail runs into dewey this is really old home week now isn't it everyone's around we're all getting the band back together and this scene is great in some ways the cox arquette relationship is kind of the heart of the first five films even though by the time they get to five they're divorced but it's still that meta aspect of their real-life relationship comes through so often. There's just an undeniable chemistry between these two. Yeah. It is, like, oozing off the screen. (laughs) I fucking love this scene. Yeah. The apologies, the hurt feelings, her icy exterior always melts around Dewey. As you said, chemistry off the charts. And you just love this relationship that she is this high-strung, successful like career woman who has no time for anybody. And, yeah, she falls apart to this loser <laughs> this, nerd. Yeah. This, well, he's not a loser nerd, but he's a weirdo yeah, yeah. guy who was kind of weird already, but then now is limping around because of his injuries from the first movie. I've always found that to be a little weird. The limping? Yeah. Well, they kind of explain it. He says I know. He, it's, a, it's like a nerve issue. Yeah. But that doesn't really carry on, does it? I can't remember yeah. how long he was doing that for. It plays into their real-life relationship, though, because a big talking point was that Courtney Cox was too hot, too popular, too successful, Definitely. too much of a big deal. I know. And it sort of plays out the same the way movie, in yeah. Scream. Unfortunately, they got divorced in 2013, yeah. but that added another level to Scream 5. There's the funny line about that really hurt Well, what year, or whatever. Whenever. What year did Scream 4 come out? I think... 2011 okay or 12 i can't remember which so they were still together when that one came out yes Oh, okay i was thinking like at the time that that they were already split they might have been separated i'm just going by the date that they were officially oh that might maybe they were i I just kind of remember being in the news probably sparks are flying again on set you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) that's why they had to kill them off yeah from five because if they kept making these movies they were gonna get back together yep Why don't you just leave her alone? Hasn't she been through enough? And my name is Dwight. I'm just doing my job, Dwight. No matter who gets hurt in the process. Hey, who got punched here again? Well, I don't condone violence, but maybe you deserved it. (sighs) Page 32. Deputy Dewey filled the room with his Barney Fifish presence. You read my book. Oh, yes, I do read, Miss Weathers. Oh, do we don't take it so seriously. It's a character in a book. Page 41. Deputy Dewey oozed with inexperience. Don't you think you're overreacting just a little bit? No. What I think is that you're a money-hungry, fame-seeking, and forgive me for saying mediocre writer who's got a cold storage shed where her heart should be. No offense intended. 
Dewey, I never meant to imply that... How do you know that my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation? I don't know what else to say, except I'm sorry. No, I'm the one that's sorry. I misjudged you. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some oozing to do. One more thing. Nice streaks. Wow. I think it's time to say Gail wins Scream 2. Obviously, yeah. Sydney wins Scream 1. I'll give her three as well because who cares? Four, Kirby. Yeah. Five, no one. Six, no one. <laughs> you could maybe say Ortega for yeah. five or something. I, I, none of the new care. I like five. We'll get to the franchise rankings later, but I don't really feel like the characters stand out at all. I, don't, right. I, I have a hard time telling them apart sometimes. Seeing each only one time, I can't remember what happens in which movie. I've seen five twice, six once. So I do kind of remember five now, but not that well. It's an enjoyable movie. Maybe Arquette wins five. Yeah. I'm not sure. But Gale is incredible in this movie. This is Cox's best out of the six for sure. Mm -hmm. There's an emotional range, a depth. Her interactions with Dewey are great. I just really like the Courtney Cox performance in this movie. I'm with it. She looks incredible, too. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. This is my podcast, and I'm saying it. Thank you for having the courage. <laughs> for saying what needed to be said. <laughs> There's so many more notes. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to take forever to get. Oh, this is going to be twice as long as when we did Scream. All right. That evening, Sydney and Hallie attend a party at the sorority house Delta Lambda Zeta. However, over at the nearby sorority, Omega Beta Zeta. Oh, my Jesus <laughs> Christ. Stinks. Being in fraternities and sororities is stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry if that offends any listeners. It's fucking dumb. <laughs> Cece plays sober sister in case she has to give a drunk girl a ride. 30 minutes into the picture, and we get our first legitimate ghost face call. The killer toys with Cece for a while before eventually stabbing her a few times in the back and tossing her off of a third floor balcony. This I, scene is long. Yes, it is. But This I do, is one of the three. When I said right. there's three long sequences, there's the opening, there's this, and then there's the ending, really. The jump scare, though, where the call is coming from in the house always works for me. Yeah, that's a nice little homage yeah. to... When a Stranger Calls? Yes. It's an homage to When a Stranger Calls. It's so weird for Sarah Michelle Gellar to be in this movie. She was definitely known enough i guess to maybe get the barrymore treatment but this plays out like a second crack at it by doing the big set piece opening kill but then just 30 minutes into the movie we're sort of redoing it again right because this actually feels very close to how all the other openings agreed are. yeah i love the end of it too where it, the Everclear song just starts playing yeah. before you cut to the next the party right. i think that's pretty cool too decent suspense building but her character never really meant anything to us. You could maybe say the same thing about Casey Becker, but the way they build that is way better in the first movie. This one's okay. We saw her in an earlier scene, but we really don't feel like we know her. Selma Blair is the voice that she's talking to. Oh, the wow. Cool intentions connection okay. there. All these movies. Evidently, 
Sarah Michelle Gellar did the stunt herself of falling off the balcony, which I think is wild. Yeah, no kidding. Buffy could not have been started yet if they're letting her do this stunt because I feel like they would have had a conniption if she had to delay filming a TV yeah. show. Had she get hurt that time though? She's like Tom Cruise. She's like, I got to do these stunts. There were some rumors of Geller and Craven not getting along and clashing, mm. which is weird because she's not even really in the movie that much. I don't know how they would have even had time to fight. <laughs> usually when making a movie, when an actor or actress is heard on screen but not seen, such as a voice on a telephone, the actor or actress records his or her part during post-production, which takes place after the completion of principal photography. However... Director Wes Craven had Roger Jackson, who famously does the voice of Ghostface in every film, on set and actually speaking to on-screen actors and actresses by practical, not merely prop, telephones in order to create reality and fear for them. When Jackson was on set, he kept out of sight of the other actors and actresses so that they could not put a friendly face to the voice. Jackson said that the actors and actresses were intimidated by him and would not talk to him any more than was absolutely necessary. (laughs) Me. With the exception yeah. of Sarah Michelle Geller, who would converse amiably with him on the telephone between takes. And I was thinking, what were they talking about? Oh, man, I'd love to have that raw footage. I, yeah, Freddie Prinze Jr. is a lucky man, but let's be honest, I can picture her talking a lot. <laughs> I can see there being a lot of talking wow. going on. Is that Should I cut that? No, no, it's funny. <laughs> It's a joke. Yeah, I yeah. love Sarah Michelle Gellar. I just thought that was funny that she's talking to this guy, and he's probably like, oh, my God. Buffy won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> when our focus returns to the party that Sydney, Halley, Randy, and others are at, Matthew Lillard, Stu from the original, can be seen in the background amongst the attendees. He has bleached blonde hair, so he's not really recognizable. And for the record, because I confused Matt uh-huh. by this, evidently. Yeah. He's never really in focus. You're not supposed to see him. It's not connected to anything. Yeah. It's just funny. It's like the rumor that Sharon Tate is in the party scene in Rosemary's Baby. It's not connected to anything bigger. I didn't think you thought this. I thought when you were explaining this to me that that's what kind of started this whole Stu's coming back. No, it didn't start until the rumors of the original ending of Scream 3, which then Lillard confirmed i think as recently as 2017 that that had been talked about which would have been Stu survives in scream one and comes back in scream three and would have been the killer and that's why everyone brings it up every time there's a new goddamn screen movie which i didn't realize i had no idea why people kept doing that until i realized that there was a rumor for three and that it had been talked about and so that's why people fought it yep honestly it would have been way better for scream three which is the worst of the franchise might as well do it now Updated franchise order, let's just say it. There are only two acceptable answers, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. One, two, four, five, six, three, or one, two, five, four, six, three. You can have five ahead of four. Matt and I, I think, are very nostalgic and loyal to four. I understand yeah. that it's not that great. There's great things about it. There's awesome things about it, but yeah. overall, it's probably pretty similar I'm sure, to five. Our, obviously, our age and generation plays into it. I will say this. When four was first coming out, the excitement to just have that like scream poster again. Yeah, I was definitely excited yeah. for four, and it was really disappointing that it underperformed yeah, because yeah. I thought it was pretty decent. I thought Kirby was a great addition. Oh, I was losing it. We know the big scene with her. What is the big scene with her? Where she's like listing off. Oh, like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And I love Emma Roberts in it too. Right. And I thought that the twist 
ending if was anything, kind of fun. The thing that's most disappointing me about four now is that it's sort of a one and done in the middle of. Yeah, it didn't really carry anything. Continuity. Over. Yeah. Now Kirby comes back in six, but it, yeah, they it, needed to to loop yeah, it in yeah. a little bit and everything. Do you agree with that though? That there's really only two realistic answers to for me. That? Yeah. Look, I'm sure there's people out there that. You know, three is actually the second best movie. No, I don't want to hear anything about three. If people want to more highly rate five and six because they're younger uh-huh. and that's their screen movies, that's fine with me. I think three is not good. Now, let me just say this. Jay and Silent Bob in three. <laughs> that's why I thought it was better than two at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and now that's why I know it's the worst. <laughs> seemed like a trade-off because right, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back came out the next year and, and Wes, Craven's Wes Craven's in it. in it. Yeah. Yeah, they did the whole thing with a new Scream movie and it's Shannon Doherty and she pulls the, the ghost face mask yeah. and it's the chimp from mm-hmm. of course. Mallrats. And there's a lot of fun stuff in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I know it sucks. It's not a good movie, but there's definitely funny stuff yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. And the stuff with Gus Van Zandt counting the money, oh, which is yeah. kind of what I was referencing earlier. Right. And Wes Craven. I, yeah, I, do, I love the friggin'. Goodwill Hunting 2 yeah, hunting season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the biggest drawback of 2, and I think the reason, one of the reasons, we'll get to the second when we get to the killers, one of the reasons that holds it back, I think, from 1, is that it's too long and there's three huge set pieces that could easily be shortened, and we've already covered two. The opening and then the Sarah Michelle Gellar death. Mm-hmm. The other one is the ending, which I think also could be shorter. CeCe's crime scene takes the partygoers away from Delta Lambda Zeta, leaving Sydney alone with Derek. As she's getting her jacket to leave, the phone starts to ring. No clue why she answers this, other than she knows that it's going to be Ghostface. Hello, Sydney. Remember me? What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. We're going to circle back to the remember me quote later. By the way, how to just ruin and frustrate every plan for this friggin' killer just never answer the phone? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. If she just walks out of this sorority without answering the phone, yeah, maybe he's going to keep trying, but... He's going to be like, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, this you're is not the way the I envisioned away. it. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostface enters the sorority and attacks Sydney. He or she then injures Derek, but flees when the police arrive. Derek and the killer are both on screen at the same time, but we know that Scream has had two killers in the past. We saw that in the first film, so it doesn't rule him out. In fact, we saw something very similar with Billy Loomis, where it appears he's getting killed, mm-hmm. but then it's all a fake. In the hospital, after the fact, while Derek is having his wound tended to, it occurred to me, is Mickey just around? Don't you think he's a little conspicuous by his presence in this movie? I'd say so. He's just around. Who is he? I guess he's Derek's friend, but they don't spend a ton of time developing connections between the characters, so he's just randomly there. It is weird trying to figure out the friendship of the two. I think if you read about the movie, they talk about the Mickey character is supposed to be Derek's best friend. Yes. You don't get that from watching no. the movie. They needed one yeah. more scene, probably. But I actually think that that's maybe what makes the early Scream movies different from the newer ones. Mm-hmm. Is I think the newer ones try to spend too much time explaining who yeah. these people are. And that ultimately just makes you lose interest. Because these early ones just plunge you in it, and yep. you're going. Now, with the two sisters and the core four and all this stupid shit they talk about in the new ones... Does it really make you connect to the characters more? I'd say I, I don't really know the characters at all in the new ones, even though they probably talk about their relationships endlessly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Gail puts local law enforcement to shame when she quickly realizes the killer or killers is choosing targets with the same names as the Woodsboro victims. Maureen Evans, Maureen Prescott. Cece is a nickname for Casey, Casey Becker. Casey's boyfriend, Steve. Phil Stevens. Oh, yeah. Kind of a stretch, but I guess if you want to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, this is the closest. <laughs> we looked up all the couples on campus. This was the closest we could get. Yeah, I could have found a Steve, but that would have been a whole other night. You yeah. know, let's just do it all at once. <laughs> yeah, really? Sydney is put under protective watch. No students seem to be fleeing campus, which is absurd. <laughs> as soon as the say, second murder, ha- I'd be out of there. Consistent to the Scream universe, no one ever treats any situation with the amount of seriousness that it needs well, to be. They send them home yeah. from school and Scream, and, and it's supposed to, to be a, a curfew. Well, the kids. The yeah, kids. yeah. Okay. They're in high school. That's oh, a okay. Well, the, I, no one in this movie is taking it all seriously. Right, listen, I was a high school kid. If there was a fucking, <laughs> if there were people being murdered, I would be like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not going to. The oh, party. Rose McGowan is inviting you to her house. I could be convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just accepts it. This is our life now, under the threat of masked maniacs, or maybe two of them, or however many of them, yeah. just because of this fucking bitch from Woodsboro is ruining her lives. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, seriously. Can't she just be expelled from school? And Take your bullshit out of here, yeah. please. <laughs> Understandably, Sid has her fair share of trust issues with Derek now. She's been down this road before. It, it is a tough boyfriend situation to be in. Yeah, you almost wish Derek was a little more understanding and saying, I want to protect you so that you feel safe. I don't want to abandon you, but I will give you your space because I know that it's weird now mm-hmm. because I look suspicious and you've already gone through this i'm sympathetic to what you went through with your past boyfriend but he can't really see it that way because he knows he's spoiler alert not the killer so <laughs> right he probably thinks i'm her boyfriend i have to protect her so he doesn't realize that he's making her uncomfortable that she doesn't know what to think and it is painful from his perspective of course it's painful to not be believed oh, by your yeah. girlfriend why would you think i would do this to get the part, Jerry O'Connell auditioned with the I think I love you scene. I think that's what they made everyone audition with. So there's a Top Gun nod here where Derek starts singing I think I love you in the cafeteria in front of everyone. Imagine being outside of this friend group. This stinks. First of all, no respect for the three murders that just happened. Yeah, I know. You're singing like a fucking horse's ass. We have three corpses now piling up. I don't know. They all give off major main character syndrome vibes. Yeah. We're the main characters of your world, so we get to just sing in the cafeteria now. I feel like they could have chosen a different song. It doesn't have the oomph. It's probably what they could just clear. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of funny because it's so cheesy and yeah, stupid. Yeah, true. He gives her a necklace with his frat letters, so he obviously thinks they're advancing or something, but she's not even sure if this dude's the killer or not. <laughs> I'm not going to break up with you, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep this going, even though... I still need that dick on the weekend. By the way, not learning, apparently, any lessons, because the last guy that she dated was the killer. Well, I guess it's from the perspective of, are you going to let that affect the rest of your life? Most people, yes, probably, right. but you try not to, so you don't know what to do. And I, I get that, yeah, look, she's going to be sensitive to something, but now we're a little bit down the path that maybe he could be the killer, so time to bounce her first thought should be i'm going back to woodsboro under police protection and i'm just staying with my dad although conveniently her dad is in europe or something they say which is absurd doesn't seem like he'd do a lot of travel no after what happened yeah jesus the last time he t- tried to travel he ended up taped up in a closet well 
Who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Randy theorizes that the killer is likely someone Sydney already knows and is patterning the killer after a movie sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Oh, let's look at the suspects. There's Derek, the obvious boyfriend. Hello, Billy Loomis. The guy's pre-madness pity me surface wound conveniently missed every major vein and artery. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Let's assume the killer, or Urs, has a half a brain. He's not a Nick at Night rerun type of guy. He wants to break some new ground, right? Right. So forget the boyfriend. It's tired. Who else do we got? There's... Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Well, let's not move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay. Let's move on to... Hallie. Sid's roommate? Mm-hmm. Serial killers are typically white males. That's why it's perfect. It's sort of against the rules, but not really. Mrs. Voorhees was a terrific serial killer. And there's always room for Candyman's daughter. She's sweet. She's deadly. She's bad for your teeth. Come on, Randy. These kids are your friends. Who do you think's the killer? How about Gail Weathers? Gail? A killer? Why not? Well, she is vicious enough. She's an opportunist. Yeah. Isn't it conceivable she's planning her next book? That's what reporters do, Dewey. They stage the news. No, Gail's a lot of things, but Gail's not a killer. Listen, just because you're sweet on her. No, I'm not. Please, this is me talking, Randy. The unrequited love slave of Sidney Prescott. I know all about obsession. And pain. And you've got your love scar to prove it. And so do you. And what's with that limp anyway? Because you were stabbed on the back. Severed nerve. There's a pretty early mention of Mrs. Voorhees. I'll just say that. Mm. Get that in your head. Sydney is in a performance of Agamemnon. <laughs> Me trying to pronounce this play. I kind of remember stuff from this in the trailer that kind of freaked me out. I'm sure they wanted you to think it was a bigger part of the movie because yeah. honestly, if you're looking for cuts, I think you can get to a stage ending without any of this. I know. This feels it seems so random. tacked on. This is the part where David Warner even shows up. He's only in one scene, I think. Yeah. She's playing Cassandra, which is the lead role. The drama teacher here basically pressures her into doing this performance that involves knives and stabbing. What? What adult would say, you should really do this? I know that you were involved in something horrible, and now something horrible is happening again, but we really want to get this play off the ground. If I'm Sid's therapist, I'm like, I'm sorry, Sid, but I have to give you my professional recommendation not to be in the play that has all these people in masks like surrounding you. Was Ghostface really there during those rehearsals, or is that in her head? Is she losing her mind? I couldn't really tell for sure. It's hard to say. I think it's not really there. Yeah, because it seems like such an unnecessary risk. Mm -hmm. There's so many people around. What if one of the other people just looks over and they're like, oh, wait, what the fuck that? That person shouldn't be here. <laughs> Let's beat the fuck out of them. Yeah. She still can't trust Derek, though. And that's ongoing. Soon after that, Ghostface calls Gail's cell phone while she, Dewey, and Randy are all together on campus outside in broad daylight discussing the case. 
Despite their attempts to find the killer, Ghostface ultimately ambushes Randy, pulling him into Joel's media van, where he is murdered. Mm -hmm. Shortly after, Joel, fearing he will be targeted next, does the sensible thing and gets the fuck out of there. Totally. The only character who makes a rational, smart, well-thought-out decision. In the entire series. Let's leave. Yeah. Fuck this. Mm -hmm. Why are you? Fuck you! No matter how hard you try, you'll never be the hero, and you'll never, ever get the girl. Hey! Shit! Sorry. Hey, man. Wrong guy, dead boy. Oh, yeah? Well, let's redirect a moment, mister. I'm so original. Huh? Had two high school loser ass dickheads. Stu was a pussy ass wet rag. And Billy Loomis, Billy Loomis, what the fuck? Jesus. What a rat looking, homo repressed mama's boy. Why not set your goals higher, huh? You wanna be one of the big boys? Huh? Manson? Bundy? OJ? Son of <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's kind of a dissatisfying ending for a legacy character. If I this agree. would have been one of the new people killed yeah. during this sequence, that would have been okay. I think Randy, if you bring him back for the sequel, which I would have been fine with killing him in the first one. Yeah, yeah. You're bringing him back. I think you should factor into the end, at least. Yeah, because it would be kind of fun to tease him as the killer right. or something. I think keeping him around more closer to the end would yeah. be better. But I find it disappointing. I do like the Randy character despite not liking Jamie Kennedy. And I just think it's weird that he's just sort of killed off in the middle of the day. Like I just find it like a... It's sort of anticlimactic yeah. for a character that should have been given a little bit more because of his involvement right. with the first film. At around one hour and one minute, Randy's... Reference to fake nude pictures of Gail Weathers on the internet was inspired by fake images of Courtney Cox that appeared on the World Wide Web prior to the production of this movie. She actually makes the joke that it's Jennifer Aniston's body. Hilarious. There's also a David Schwimmer reference. He's playing Dewey oh, yeah. in the movie. Right. So they worked some of the Friends cast into this. Of course, there are, to my knowledge, not really full naked shots of Jennifer Aniston's body, so I don't know what that joke even means i don't know it's still funny 
Well, it was a lot funnier then when fake nudes were ridiculous. Okay, now they're well, dealing true, with yeah. the AI yeah. and all this shit where it kind of looks real and they can make videos and stuff. It's got to be weird to be a celebrity yeah, now yeah. because who knows what people can do with technology. Back then, fake nudes were very common and people were fooled by them even though they were so terrible looking because they had never seen it. I remember the big one was the Alyssa Milano thing. Her mom was like fucking losing it. <laughs> Because they seemed obviously fake even to me as like a middle schooler seeing shit like that. I was like, this is fake. Why do you think this is real? But I don't know. I don't know. It was a weird time. Totally. Scripts were leaking online, yeah. fake nudes. No one Everyone knew what the was internet just like was. Figuring out the internet. When the camera pans over Randy's dead body in the news van, you can see red lipstick, a print on his hand between his index finger and thumb. This gives away that his killer was a woman. Mm hmm. Hmm. Yep. Figured I'd point that out now. I, I'm assuming most people already know who the killers are, but... Dead giveaway. I paid attention and looked, and it's true. It's not just smear that looks like blood, either. It looks like you kiss... Mm -hmm. So it's clear what it is. It definitely is lipstick. Unlike the new films, we got no core four going on here. Randy's gone now. That's it. We're down to three. Yep. Just like we did for the first Scream film, I did want to quickly move through some of the horror references throughout this isn't by no means a definitive list but i'm using the article on bloody disgusting there's a nod to house on a haunted hill ghost face dummies fly over the heads of the rowdy audience members before stab begins and the glow in the dark stabo vision appears on the screen before the stab title card both odes to william castle gimmicks as i mentioned in the footage we see of stab there's the reference or, or homage to psycho with the shower and then later there's something with one of the characters kind of modeled after a scene also i don't want to give that away yet okay demons popcorn he knows you're alone anguish messiah of evil all five are direct influences for the film's opening movie theater sequence and or maureen's death in front of the movie going audience anguish also later parallels one of the killer reveals alien aliens terminator 2 judgment day and house the second story are all mentioned in the film class debates t2 is also later referenced again when mickey uh, yeah. compares sydney to linda hamilton that's right nosferatu cc settles on watching the expressionist vampire classic as she talks on the phone with her friend friday the 13th arguably scream 2's most prominent homages come from the 1980 original first when Cece's friend says a variation of the famous ki 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 ma ma ma. Oh. And she says it as kill, 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 death, 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 which is sort of yeah. where it came from. I think it's actually kill, 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 and then mom, maybe? I, I forget what the other part of it is. I've watched all the Friday the 13th shit, but I kind of forget where it came from. Yeah. Randy later makes the reference saying Mrs. Voorhees was a terrific serial killer. And then if you're familiar with this film, you'll know that the ending also takes a little bit from Friday the 13th as well. Black Christmas... Also, When a Stranger Calls, that plays in with the CC scene. Halloween, the original Scream is much more tied in with that, but Scream 2 touches on it as well. CC's body is splayed on the ground, pretty much identical to Michael Myers from the first. Mm. The detectives assigned to protect Sydney are named Richards and Andrews, which are named after Kyle Richards and Brian Andrews, who played the two little kids in Halloween. Oh, wow. Okay. And then there's more with the Loomis stuff. Faces of Death, which gets mentioned. Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. Ghostface says it's showtime to Sydney via phone in the post-college party scene. Could be that or Beetlejuice, I guess. Okay. Candyman, 
the house on sorority row the dorm the drip blood splatter university graduation day final exam randy just lists those out there's a scene in slumber party massacre that's also very similar to when randy gets pulled into the van all right mute witness i've never even heard of twin peaks that's a stretch what is that i feel like if i read this you're gonna not like it. As okay. Sydney and Hallie are riding with the detectives for a few frames, the camera focuses on the changing traffic lights, similarly to the ominous usage of traffic lights within the bulk of Twin Peaks. Wow. I, I think that's not real that at all. That can't be. Come on. Stage Fright from 87, that factors into the final sequences on stage. I've seen Stage Fright. I don't really see it. I think that they were kind of stretching a little bit to include a few more some of those could definitely be un- unconscious nods too, mm-hmm. influences those kind of things like a mixing bowl. But I don't know that all of those were direct yeah, <laughs> references. Yeah. It kind of seems weird. What did you think about that weird scene in the library with the instant messenger thing? The threat to Sydney coming through on the campus's instant message program. Well, that, they that have. sort of became a theme in these movies too, is finding different ways how communications devices are used. It reminded me a little bit of the part from the original Scream where she's using that 911 call well, on her like, which computer. still like doesn't even resonate with me that that was ever part of. I think you could do that. Yeah. How regularly people were doing that, especially girls in high school, like, right. I can't really imagine. But yeah, it's not bad because I went to college. I fully believe that something like this could have existed as early as 97. Sure. But it always feels so dated and hokey. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's better to keep it simple when it comes to technology because even the phones are out of date at a certain point. But as long as you just kind of stick to the one thing, and especially phones were around for fucking hundred years or whatever. Yeah. Whereas this instant messenger that they're using is new in 1997, and by two months later it was already replaced and right. gone. So it kind of just seems way too tied to a moment. Her police bodyguards are freaking out, but. Cotton swoops in to get some alone time with Sydney, further making him look suspicious. Understandably, Cotton is disappointed in Sydney for not giving him what he wants, which is oh, for the two of them to do an hour special in prime time. He's really trying to capitalize on this whole thing. It's Diane Sawyer. Yeah. Which is his right. Yeah, sure. I don't know what we're supposed to make of Cotton, especially his weird little hesitation at the end and kind of blackmailing Sydney to save her, but he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Again, I don't want to spoil everything, but I'm hopeful that most of you are familiar with the franchise. I don't like that he gets killed at the beginning of three. Yeah. I'm that like, seems yeah. like really dumb to me for some reason, but three he sucks. Was, I actually think having him around in this movie is a fun addition. Yeah, because he for sure feels like he should be the killer and you need to have at least one person Mm -hmm. to distract you from all the other obvious weird shit right and i think a lot of your attention is going to go to him for sure because leah schreiber is a good actor he seems kind of older and menacing anyway a little bit and he's got this big motive that we all know yep and it is weird that He's already sort of been turned down for a big face-to-face, and yet he's still lingering around the campus while people are being murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody leaving town. Sid, you okay? Cotton. Can we talk for a sec? Um, This isn't a good time. Come on, Sid. You sent me to prison. I put over a year for you. You can give me two minutes. 
cotton. I'm sorry. Every day, I'm sorry. I don't know how to apologize anymore. No, no, don't be sorry. Sorry. Shamari said that I have the solution to all of our problems. What? Well, what are you talking about? First of all, forget Gail Weathers. She doesn't get it, Sydney. She doesn't see the story between you and me. She wouldn't see the story if it smacked her in the side of the head. I mean, have you read that book? <laughs> Which brings me to my point. Who calls me out of the blue? The Diane Sawyer. <sighs> Believe me, Sid, I was as shocked as you are. Anyway, she tells me that if you and I go on the air together, she will give us the entire hour. What? We're talking prime time, Sid. You, me, and Diane Sawyer. Cotton, I can't. No, no, look. Sydney, look, this is about money. It's not like we're not getting paid, no. okay? There's $10,000 each, not to mention what I've got going on the side with a 900 number. But Cotton. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You don't like the press. I know that, and I respect it, Sydney. But, 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 Sydney. <laughs> it's Diane Sawyer. Hello? <laughs> She's a class act, Sydney. This could be some very, very heavy exposure. I'm sorry. Look, between the movie and the book, people know the truth. Let's get on with our lives. There's been enough exposure. Why would you want any more? Why? Well, oh, I, I don't know, Sydney. I don't know. Uh, maybe because I fucking deserve a little exposure? <laughs> I mean, come on, Sydney. You dragged my name through the mud. Everybody thinks I'm some kind of psycho killer. And all I'm asking for is my little fucking Diane Sawyer interview to maybe get my side of the story straight. Now, I don't think I'm being uh, unreasonable in that request, Sydney. Do you, honestly? I'm sorry, Cotton, but no. Mm. You're sorry. Yeah, I bet you're real sorry, Sydney. Such a good angle, Sydney. Lovable and fucked up Sydney Prescott, everybody's favorite little victim. Wow! Wow! What are you doing? We were here to stop your Sydney, shut the fuck up! Jesus, you're not Billy Loomis. You killed him. He's dead. Remember? He raises his voice and gets a little too pushy, causing the police to swoop in and take him into custody. But he's released soon after, seemingly even more annoyed now. Debbie is still lingering around, annoying Gale. Gale and Dewey finally make peace and start to work together. All of their scenes are really fun and great. As night falls over the campus, Dewey and Gale find an empty classroom to review tapes of footage shot by Joel, hoping to spot the killer in the vicinity of the previous crime scenes. Eventually, they kiss. Oh, I found this to be an extraordinarily moving scene, and I was near tears. Fireworks. <laughs> I'm not even ashamed to admit that I was getting choked up from a stupid scene in Scream 2. <laughs> Never Man. have you wanted two people to get together more than this. It felt good. Yeah. It felt good because you can tell that they both, and I'm talking about the characters, right. that they both love each other. There's a lot of history there, but there was a wound because of the book. Gail said some mean things about Dewey to try to spice up her story. Now she feels bad because she didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know there's a lot there. A lot to unpack. Ghostface crashes the tender moment. It's kind of cool. I don't know how practical it actually is to have him sneak up into this other room and then get a TV footage going <laughs> with the camera. I don't know. But Yeah, some of the attempts at murders are far more elaborate than they need to be yeah he could have just yeah. walked in and shot them right <laughs> just buy a fucking gun dude yeah but it's cool because they're looking at alternate footage then live footage of themselves standing there which is always right. a fun gimmick totally the killer attacks and then stalks gale all through different rooms ending up in a radio station or a recording studio i'm not really sure where dewey is eventually stabbed 
behind a glass window again in full view of gail which is fun because he's in the soundproof room so he's getting stabbed and she's on the other side of the glass and can't really do anything but then she barricades herself in that room and ghostface can't get in now if that was me i'd be waiting until the next day or monday whenever people come back and they find me in there i would never come out it's kind of brave that she does eventually just come out on her own i would never leave this is my home now (laughs) while Derek gets sucked into a hazing ritual with his frat for giving away his frat letters two officers drive sydney and hallie to a safe house however while on the way they are ambushed by ghostface at a stoplight the two bumbling cops are murdered quickly but then in the (laughs) ensuing struggle ghostface is knocked unconscious in a car accident worst cops of all time i know he already killed your partner what are you doing shoot him he points the gun at him several times and says i'm gonna shoot you just do it he's driving with the two girls in the back seat really a poor effort here terrible i do think that this ends up being one of the best suspense moments yeah, of the whole it movie gets, it, it all yeah. pays off eventually right but this is so stupid the cop is an idiot <laughs> just terrible what did they find the two worst people on the force yeah. and have them do this they would eventually rate the form of the uh, two cops zero out of ten in each <laughs> instance <laughs> the setup that we get to is really cool sid and hallie are trapped in the back seat Ghostface knocked out up front but they're up against something they've crashed they can't get out of the back anyway because it's a cop car so they are able to pull down the little barricade between the front and back seat because of the damage and then they have to crawl out over top of Ghostface in the driver's side through the front window face to face when sid does it she almost unmasks the killer but then decides not to but then regrets it which then gets her friend killed fucking bitch (laughs) sid how much blood is on your hands come on (laughs) now i will say one thing that has become part of the formula the long shot with someone just standing next to some sort of obstruction yes you know that that person's time is very limited right i do think it would have been better to go for the obvious which is when hallie is climbing over I think that, that he just guts her on top of himself that, and, and Sid they, runs away. They needed that. I feel like they gave up a perfect time for a jump scare. And, yeah, and the way they do it, they sort of make Sydney look terrible. Yeah. Because they're free and clear, and Hallie is desperately begging. She wants to keep running away, but Sydney decides she needs to go back to see who the killer mm-hmm. is. However, Ghostface is awakened. He's not there. When she goes back to the car, he gets the jump on Hallie. Good job, Sid. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Smart people run. We're smart people, so we should just get the fuck out of here. Hallie, I'm sick of running. 
If we know who it is, then it's over. We can just get the police. Yeah, and when we come back, he'll be gone. It will only take a minute. I have to do this. Oh, Sid. No, Sid, come back. Sid. Sid, come back. Sydney runs from Ghostface, Gale finally emerges from her hiding spot, finding Cotton with blood all over his hands, though he says he is innocent and simply came upon a bloody Dewey. Gale runs away from him, believing him to be the killer, which has got to be fucking with her because she was instrumental in his release from prison. Totally. And now yeah. she thinks that he's killed the love of her life. It's that what if I was wrong? Drawn to music playing in the campus theater... While seeking safety, Sydney finds Derek in the auditorium tied to a cross from that frat bullshit. But they're not alone. Ghostface emerges from the shadows, revealing himself as Mickey. Mm-hmm. Mickey insists that Derek is his partner, confusing Sydney, but Derek adamantly denies it. Then Mickey gives up the ruse pretty quick. I guess he's just fucking with her at this point, shooting Derek and killing him. And then you guessed it. Time for a monologue. <laughs> Nothing's better than explaining to Sydney yep. why you have to do this. Everyone loves to do it in all of these movies. We gotta <laughs> just and she sits there patiently and lets you tell your story and yeah, then yeah. we Get all to gotta it. move on. Right. Mickey reveals he intends to kill Sydney and then allow himself to be arrested so he can blame movie violence for the murders at his trial. He seems very obsessed with the trial aspect of it. <laughs> Derek. Derek! Thank you, thank God, sir. I thought I was gonna be up there till opening night. You tie these. I'm gonna get out of here. Brother's got me, sir. Derek, he's after me. Gil Howley. What are you talking about? The killer, he's here. Where? Right here. You're fast, Sid. I wouldn't do that if I were you. You really want to trust your boyfriend? Don't you know history repeats itself? Surprise, Sydney. What the fuck? Since Derek here disappeared on my ass, I've been on my own all fucking night. Thanks a lot, partner. You motherfucker! City's crazy. You know me better than that. Come on, Sid. I gotta have a partner. I couldn't have possibly done this alone. Derek. Sid. Oh, no, Sid, Sid. No, 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 no. It's okay, Derek. We got her. <laughs> Sid, he's lying. Sid. Sid. I'm tiny. Sid. I'm tiny. Hmm. Boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer. Sid, the man is lying! Untie me, Sid. Untie me. What do you think, Derek? Sydney experiencing some deja vu? No. No. I am gonna fucking kill you! Fucking kill you! You are dead! Dead! 
deal with your trust issues, Sid. I mean, poor Derek. He's completely innocent. He's such a nice boy, too. He's bright and funny and handsome, decent singing voice, and he was gonna be a doctor. This was just the kind of boy you'd like to take home to mom, if you had a mom. Fuck you! Oh! So vulgar! Did Billy let you talk to him this way? Billy was a sick fuck just like you. No. Billy was a sick fuck who tried to get away with it. Mickey is a sick fuck who wants to get caught. Yeah! See, I've got my whole defense. Planned out. I'm gonna blame the movies. It's pretty good, cool, huh? It hasn't been done before. You see, this is just the beginning. A prelude to the trial. That's where the real fun is, because these days, it's all about the trial. Can't you see it? The effects of cinema violence on society. I'll get Dershowitz or Cochran to represent me. Bob Dole on the witness stand in my defense. Hell, the Christian coalition will pay my legal fees. It's air tight, Sid. I'm an innocent victim. You're a psychotic. Yeah, well, shh. That'll be our little secret. Because people love a good trial. It's like theater. They're dying for it. And I've worked hard to give the audience what they want. See, that's what Billy was good at. He knew. It's all about execution. Yeah. Well, you're forgetting one thing about Billy Loomis. What's that? Sid gives it a real shot to fight back. She uses her fraternity letters necklace as a weapon and goes right at Mickey. But he eventually overpowers her. And then, of course, there's another surprise, a mystery guest holding Gale at gunpoint. Debbie arrives and is revealed to be Mickey's partner, with Sidney instantly recognizing her as Billy's mother, Uh Mrs. Loomis. In later films, or previously, I'm not sure, they do say that her real first name is Nancy, which ties in with Nancy Keys, who plays Annie in the original Halloween. Annie Brackett. Because she went under the name Nancy Loomis, which I don't know if that's intentional. Maybe it is. If it is, I like it even more. That's great. Because we yeah, love Annie really. from Halloween. I Stroke have her of action figure. Yep. Hanging on Which, believe it or not, she has one. <laughs> <laughs> I bought two and gave one to Matt. That's, That's right. how much we like yeah. Annie. An all-time great character. <laughs> it's a shocking moment for everyone, especially Gail, because they try to provide the lame excuse for Gail not recognizing her. But it's made even more shocking seconds later when Loomis betrays Mickey and shoots him. Gail catches a stray bullet from Mickey, who fires his gun before collapsing. Mm-hmm. Not a great move as a killer if you've got a partner to off them while several characters still at play. Yeah. If you got someone on your team. That's true. You want to make sure, if you're going to kill your partner, do that last. Right. Loomis only used Mickey to frame him for their little killing spree. She then reveals that she is seeking revenge against Sid for killing her son, Billy. Sid, you got a Linda Hamilton thing going. No, no, it's nice. I like it. Now, who's doing that? Could that be the mystery guest waiting in the wings? Told you I had a partner, Sid. Surprise cameo just for you. Gail. 
Mother! Nice twist, huh? Didn't see it coming, did you? Jesus. Can't be. I've, I've, I've seen pictures of you. This is 60 pounds and a lot of work later. It's called a makeover. You should try it. Look a little tired yourself there, Gail. So you two are in this together? Yeah, well, had to have financing. Tuition's expensive. Deb there, my backer. We met on the internet, psycho website, classifieds. There's only an estimated 97 active serial killers in the country today, so Mickey here was quite a find. Definitely one on the way up. All he needed was a little guidance and nurturing. As only a mother can do. Told you it was gonna work. Wait to the trial. It is gonna rock! Oh, Mickey. There's not gonna be a trial. <laughs> One stone. Oh. Mickey was a good boy, but my God, that won't blame the movie's motive. Did you buy that for one second? Poor boy was completely out of his mind. And you're not. No, I'm very sane. My motive isn't as 90s as Mickey's. Mine is just good old-fashioned revenge. You killed my son. And now I kill you, and I can't think of anything more rational. No, of course I will. Everything's traceable back to Mickey, including the cop gun he used to kill everybody. But let's just suppose that you had gotten hold of the other cop's gun, and you chased Mickey, and there was a big shootout, a big scuffle, and you shot Mickey, killed Mickey dead. But not before he got off one shot at you. Okay. So, have I covered everything? Are there any questions, any comments? You know what, though? Who gives a flying fuck anyway? Let them try and track down the second possible killer. Debbie Salt doesn't exist. You're as crazy as your son was. What did you just say? Was that a negative, disparaging remark about my son? About my Billy? No, Billy was a good boy. Billy was perfect. You did a bang-up job, Mrs. Loomis. Not wise to patronize me with a gun, Sydney. Randy spoke poorly of Billy, and I got a little knife happy. <sighs> I was a good mother. You know what makes me sick? I'm sick to death of people saying that it's all the parents' fault. It all starts with the family. You want to blame someone? Why don't you blame your mother? She's the one who stole my husband and broke up my family. And then you took... My son. You don't know what it is to be a mother. To raise a child. To teach him. And guide him. And abandon him. Isn't Mickey supposed to be dead? However, Sydney points out the hypocrisy of her motives, considering that Nancy's abandonment fueled her son's psychotic tendencies the pair fight until Cotton appears and holds them at gunpoint. Nancy, or Loomis, attempts to manipulate Cotton into murdering Sidney, reminding him that her testimony got him arrested. But to her shock, he instead chooses to shoot Nancy in exchange for an interview with Sidney 
and Diane Sawyer. An interesting bargaining moment. Well, it makes him seem far less heroic. Totally. To hold that over Sid. Now, yeah. as soon as he shoots Loomis, he says, oh, I would never hurt you, Sid. And he tries to act like he's a good guy and yeah. everything. But well, dude, we that remember that now. you yeah. just were acting like. <laughs> right. I don't think ball. I don't think he would have actually shot Sydney at any point. No, no. He's no. not that guy and yeah. I do think that his character is supposed to just be driven by cashing in on a potential 15 minutes of fame. Right. And if Sydney for some reason still refused to do the Diane Sawyer interview at gunpoint, he probably still would have killed Mrs. Lewis, totally, yeah. but <laughs> That'd be funny if Sid was like, just shoot me. I don't care. I think what I'm you're not supposed doing to it. think about that character is he's w- going to do the same thing either way, but he's like, I can use this. I'm going to see what I can get out of it, though. Don't you fucking move. God damn it. God. Okay, okay, okay. Everybody slow down. I have had a very, very bad day. And I would like to know exactly what the fuck is going on here, Sydney? Cotton, meet Billy Loomis's mother. She's the killer. What? And who's that? The other killer, Mickey. Okay. Look, Cotton. Shut up. So, I. You're uh, not to be sold, are you? You're not with the post telegraph. No, but I can still help you, Cotton. Uh, 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 uh. You don't need her. Let me kill her. As long as she's alive, you're never going to be the lead story. That's what you really want, isn't it, Cotton? If you really want to be in the spotlight, just let me kill her right now. Then you're the only survivor. You're the star. to prison for a year. Personally, I think it's rather poetic. No. No, Cotton, don't you listen to her. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. It's uh, quite a predicament you're in, Sid. Cotton. I mean, she makes a good point. <laughs> Let me think about this. Maybe you should, too. Bet you that Diane Sawyer interview's looking real good right about now. Hey, Sydney, uh, look, I want you to know that I would never, ever do anything to hurt you. Cotton, give me the gun. As Sydney Cotton and a recovered Gale look at Nancy's body, Mickey suddenly resurfaces but is killed by Gale and Sydney, who both fire their guns, 
Sydney then shoots Nancy in the head to ensure she's dead, which is kind of funny. And she, and she did appear to be pretty dead before that. Yeah. She doesn't react to getting right. a bullet yeah. in the head, so she was definitely dead. Right. So this is it. This is the big reveal of the killers, and it's what always, I think, kept me at arm's length. Now, you may think that introducing Debbie Salt and having her actually be Mrs. Loomis, that that would be lame to me because she's just around the fringes of the story. Mm -hmm. It seems so clumsy. They sort of attempt something similar in Scream 6. No, that doesn't bother me, and I get that Kevin Williamson loves Friday the 13th, and this was an obvious homage totally. to Mrs. Voorhees, but the Mickey part of it drove me nuts the first time I saw this movie. I Which didn't I get. He seems I random. didn't think he was a big enough part of the movie. Well, and he is random. She's looking up serial killers on the internet. <laughs> I know. Well, that, that whole him. thing is stupid. Yeah. But out of all of the different dummy scripts and potential out there, and I'm going to read through a lot of other stuff. That could have happened, but my personal opinion, okay, Hallie, yeah, and Mrs. Loomis is like so it. much better, and one of the reasons why it's better is something Randy says: it's always a white man, and yeah. go the opposite with a black girl. That would have been great. Plus, Mrs. Loomis. Now, granted, I would have wanted Hallie to be a little bit more involved in well, some of yeah. the other scenes Hallie to keep her in the mix. She would have had a great motive, annoying roommate. Just ruining all the times, Sid. Yeah, I think you could you could massage the motive yeah, yeah. to come up with the right story. It doesn't really matter. They always kind of have some random reason why they need to kill Sidney Prescott. But <laughs> A lot of people. Yeah, everyone's coming up with a reason. <laughs> I've dated some girls. <laughs> Folks. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that the Mickey thing is what holds it back from being... <laughs> really great that in the runtime which sure. they could have easily gotten 10 to 15 minutes out of i think substituting hallie for mickey and using mickey as another red herring because mm -hmm. you could actually make him seem more evil now that he's not going to be the killer that way you can really play up into like an obsession with horror movies yeah, or something. yeah. And whatever you want to do sure but uh, as it is he is sort of like the fringe random guy you're like oh it's this guy because Obviously, you didn't want it to be Derek or Cotton or somebody that would actually made sense. So you just pick a random. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't ruin the movie for me anymore. No, like no. I said, I, I've grown to really like this movie a lot, especially because of Cox and Arquette. But it just feels a little disappointing. I think that's fair. A leaked version of the script prior to filming ended with the killers being Derek and Hallie. The script is still widely available and frequently noted in the movie's trivia. However, screenwriter Kevin Williamson revealed in 2017 that the leaked script contains a dummy ending, specifically because they were worried about leaks. The Derek and Hallie ending was available to cast and crew prior to shooting, but was always intended to be switched out for a different ending. So that makes it hard to know what is legitimate trivia, because a lot of it is based around that version of the script. Mm -hmm. And then Williamson sort of pulled the rug out from under it, so you're not really sure. Pay close attention to the way Ghostface kills their victims in the film. They always use their left hand. The killers are eventually revealed to be Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. Throughout the film, Mrs. Loomis, under her alias Debbie Salt, uses her right hand. Mickey is left-handed. Mrs. Loomis intentionally killed with her non-dominant hand as part of the plan to have Mickey take the blame for all the killings all right. as he agreed to it. 
the authorities would definitely get suspicious if some of the kills were done with the right hand, even though Mickey is left-handed, especially since there were two ghost faces before. You would think the police would think that. There's a trend here. We can tie it back to when Ghostface said, remember me. So that was probably Mrs. Loomis on the phone. Okay. And so that was literal. Takes on a little bit more of a literal meaning. Remember me, bitch. Mm-hmm. When the police arrive, Dewey is revealed to still be alive, and Gail climbs into the ambulance with him rather than taking the opportunity to report to the returning Joel. Sydney then instructs the press to direct questions to Cotton to remove attention from herself and reward Cotton for helping her because he wants all the attention. The film originally ended with a third ghost face watching the aftermath from the campus bell tower a la Catwoman in Batman Returns. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. It's a little too cheesy. Too much. Obviously, they wanted people to know that they were probably going to do Scream 3 and to get excited about it, but come on. That's stupid. After the first draft of the script was leaked on the internet, several changes had to be made and characters were fully rewritten. Dewey had originally transferred himself from Woodsboro Police to the security staff on campus so he could (laughs) stay close to Sydney and keep her safe. Randy was originally Gail's new cameraman, and Joel was a med student and friends with Sydney. Huh. Derek was the film student shooting a documentary who walked around with a camera, not Mickey. Debbie Salt was more aggressive and bitchy, as in one scene she asked Sydney if she finally snapped and if she's the one doing the killings, being punched in the face by Gail as a result. Oh, wow. The scene in which Sydney slaps Gail never happens. Mickey was the one who sang in the cafeteria to Hallie, not Sydney, and a different song. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Oh. That would have been horrific. No way. That would have been great. Timothy Oliphant singing it? <laughs> no. And he'd be singing it to Hallie, not Sydney. Oh, okay, yeah. The killers were Derek, Hallie, and Debbie Salt. So there's a different version right there. Right. I would have just taken Derek out of that and just left it be the two women. But maybe they thought that was weird to have two women killers. But I think people would have been blown away. Oh, yeah. It would have been ahead of its time. Loomis ends up shooting Derek and Hallie, but then gets stabbed by Cotton before she can shoot Sydney and Gale. Cotton suddenly has a change of heart and decides to get even on both Sydney and Gale as he considers them responsible for ruining his life. He stabs and kills Gale and then runs after Sydney. Kevin Williamson stopped the writing there, but left some notes in the script. That's all I've written so far, and then describes in a few words how the story was supposed to end. Cotton and Sydney would eventually stab each other and die lying side by side clearly indicating the end of the franchise. They probably told him, no, that's not not happening. We're doing more. That would have been stupid. I think sometimes, though, you have to understand that first drafts and stuff Mm -hmm. are just trying to set it up, and then you can move them like chess pieces around once you have your Your world created. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he was married to any of those ideas. That sounds pretty stupid. Because, okay, you serve a year in prison for a murder you didn't commit, and you're desperate to get back into prison seriously i think most people they would probably be upset but i think he would understand that the people to blame were billy loomis and Stu mocker who set it up so that sydney would think it was those criminal masterminds evidently yeah folks that'll do it for scream 2 this was a lot longer than we thought it was going to be but i don't know i felt like this weird passion about watching scream 2 and i got really into it it does tend to happen yeah so thank you so much for listening Greatest October rolls on. We're going to be doing more sequels. I don't know that we're going to get as carried away as with Scream 2. They're definitely not as long as Scream 2, which is very long for a horror sequel. But we also got normal 
other non-sequel episodes to do. We're going to do our first, I believe, remake of a movie we've already done. Oh. Is that the first time we've ever done that? I guess that When we've already sense, done yeah. the original and now we're doing the remake later? I would think, yeah. We're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing a sequel to a remake. We're going to be doing movies from the 80s, movies from the 70s, all over the place. The full spectrum. A lot of stuff. We're going to skip over recommendations for this episode and jump right into email, which thankfully is a short one. I know Matt's about to fucking lose it. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. There are two, and they go together. It's actually from an email from John. He sent us a picture. I'll show it to oh, Matt. Oh, sweet. I am a very visual. Taken with my back to the beach, shot across the PCH, the Pacific Coast Highway, oh. I would imagine. I don't know if you can read that picture. Uh-uh. Tell the listeners what that place is called. Patrick's Roadhouse. Yeah. I responded back that there better be a framed picture of Swayze in that establishment. I hope you took a Greatest Moments sticker and stuck it right on their friggin' bathroom (laughs) stall. (laughs) John replied, couldn't agree more in reference to the Swayze photo, but I wanted to read his second email because he said, P.S. I listened to all five of your Seinfeld eps recently. Great stuff. Wow. That was by far my favorite show of all time, so I could listen to you guys talk about it endlessly. Okay. Great job. So somebody likes those Seinfeld things. They and do, good news do. for John, there will be more yeah. coming eventually. There may even be another show added to that. Here's hoping. Give us a second yeah. mix. We've got some ideas. Something's in the works. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. Let's move along to Physical Media Spotlight. As a reminder, Matt and I are highlighting some of our favorite horror-related physical media pieces. I don't know how much longer we're going to do this segment after this Greatest October. I think it'll be an occasional thing. I don't think we'll do it every time Mm -hmm. because I don't know how much people really care. But if you are into physical media, I'll go first. I just got this in the mail this week. The new release in 4K... I, of course, had to get the most ridiculous deluxe one. It's a big box with a lot of shit in it. For The Wicker Man, which we covered last yeah. year as a listener request of our good friend Brian. Was that just last year? I, dude, I have no sense of time I think now. it was. Holy that shit. That seems right, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> We've just done a lot of recording yeah. since then. Yeah, this thing is gorgeous. I know That's some people awesome were kind looking. of bitching about this cover art. I think the cover art is cool. Me too. I think the Steelbook cover art is really cool, too. So if you don't want to go for the full $80 stupid thing, there is also, I think, a couple different Steelbooks, actually. I don't know how many Hmm. 4K releases of this there are now, but The Wicker Man's a really cool movie, highly influential on things like Midsummer and a bunch of other stuff, too. We covered it last year. I really enjoy it, and I think this box looks really cool. I haven't opened it yet because... Opening these things is always sad. You want to keep it as pristine as possible <laughs> as long as you can. And I just got this the other day. So if you like The Wicker Man, you can now get it You know what I don't 4K. really like, and it comes with the steelbooks and some of these other bigger packages, is the, like, the outer flimsy shell thing. You know what I mean? It comes with like the steelbooks a lot. Oh, you mean that little piece of cardboard? Yeah. Like, I usually just either fold them and put them inside the steelbook or throw them away. Yeah, I throw them away too, but a lot of times it's like, that's like the actual back where it has like the credits and everything. Yeah. 
And I, I that's why I fold some of them up and yeah. stick them in the steel books. Okay, I might have to start doing that because there's something that feels weird about throwing it out. I do, but I've thrown a lot of yeah. them out because it's annoying to try to keep track of I all know. that stuff, and they're not hard enough to save. Right. Like they'll get ripped and crappy and all totally. that shit. I'm going to do a movie that you originally turned me on to, much like many <laughs> of the movies we talk about, in a deluxe package by Second Sight, who does really cool stuff. Yeah. Lake Mungo is yes. the film. I think this came out a couple years ago. No, it's... Oh, you mean the, the 4K? Right, or right. Or the yeah. Blu-ray? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the movie's actually from, like, uh, I don't know, I think earlier 2000s. Before that, yeah. I want to say 2004, maybe. Oh, it was... It was wasn't it... When they did those, oh yeah, it was two, I think it's two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. You keep talking, I'll look that up. Okay, later. it's a really cool underrated horror movie, though. Yeah, it's it's not found footage. It's sort of a fake documentary. Like documentary, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to say mockumentary because it sounds it's like, like it's two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. They, it's documentary style. Yes, and it feels very real. Right. That's the thing. It it's never a joke where you're like, well, this is clearly not real. Yeah. In fact. When I showed Lake Mungo to a friend of ours a year or two ago for the first time, mm-hmm. I made the comment that if Netflix acted like this was real and just put it up on the main page as their new big thing, oh yeah, because most people don't know what Lake Mungo is, I think they could have created a sensation. They should have bought the rights to this and just acted like it was new. The pacing of it is so great, and it sort of like slowly gets weird and unsettling. And then when you think... Oh, everything's revealed not to be real, but then there's one more there's always like one more little thing where you're like, Oh, that's weird. Yeah, right. And it it leaves you feeling upset because I think by the end of the movie you do understand that it's a movie about grief and how you're trying to overcome something so awful that happened to a right. family. Yeah. And their way of dealing with it is weird. And then they tie in like some of the supernatural fun and all that stuff. And I, I, even though the end credits are really hokey, I do kind of still like it. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, an Australian movie. It came out in 2008. Not a lot of people have seen it. So I would recommend just trying to track it down first, let alone totally. if you can grab the, the Blu-ray. Because I think that deluxe edition is probably gone. I'm you sure, try to get yeah. the standard. I think they released I like a standard like a one too. I think book or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There's probably at least a copy of it somewhere. And even though Second Sight is a UK company, that release is region-free, so anyone can watch it. So, yeah. If you've never seen Lake Mungo before, it's one that we've talked about doing on the show. I think it's been on the list before, right? It might be better as a give us a second, actually. I don't know that there's like a ton of things we can actually say beyond just saying, like, oh, this part was cool. Yeah, you say that, but then you would fall in love with it and have a notebook full of notes. (laughs) Maybe, but... Sometimes I have a good sense of what's going to work on the pod and what is not. And there's probably a reason why we've never committed to doing it. But yeah, it has been on the list before. So check out Lake Mungo, The Wicker Man. No recommendations this week because this episode went longer than we thought. Thanks so much for listening. Greatest October, of course, rolls on. A lot of episodes to get to. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please follow us on X slash Twitter at greatest pod please reach out to us via email greatestpod at gmail.com that's the perfect place to request a sticker to do a listener request and to send us your anecdotes about any movie you want so that we can read it on the show love it thanks so much for listening thanks for the support and we'll be back soon i left you on the debris
Footsteps at the front door And that old familiar love song Cause you knew you'd find me waiting there At the top of the stairs Trouble at the depot with the general workers union and yes said they'll never change a thing. Well they won't fight and they're not working. What are you doing? Your dog certainly has a surprised look on his face. Yeah. Well, that's because you're looking at his butt. Oh, oh. then he's certainly not going to enjoy that uh, treat that I just fed to him. Well, 